We are the Bros Who Think Network, and you're tuned in to Bros Who Binge. Enjoy. What is up, movie fans and Netflix bingers? This is the Bros Who Binge podcast, the 50th episode. Thank you for everyone who's got us this far. This is Adam Schubert, as always, joined by Lyndon Burton. Lyndon, we've got another podcast. Make it the 50 episodes, man. The network is doing its thing, man. Thank you, Schubert, for for steering this ship. This is this is your vessel. I'm just uh, uh if you're Monkey D. Luffy of the, of the Bros Who Binge Pirate Ship, then I'm Zolo. I'm Zoro, your right hand man, first lieutenant. That thank you for commandeering this ship. Thank you to the fans for who everybody out there who listens to this show. We really, really appreciate it because you take the time to listen to me and Schubert. And it's mostly just me and Schubert every week talk about movies. I know we give you some interviews from time to time, but you really like you guys really come and listen for our movie opinion. And it really means a lot to the both of us. And we we for this next 50 episodes, we want to include more of you guys have your voices. We want to hear some of your thoughts like we want to hear which you guys want us to discuss in discussions. Like if y'all want us to do our top five uh, Westerns or if you want us to do best James Bond, whatever you guys want us to do, we want to include some of your thoughts. But thank you, thank you so much for doing our first 50 episodes or a shot. And we're going to make sure we make the next 50 episodes even better. Yeah, I mean, I'm just excited that we've been able to do this. And I'm really enjoyed getting more in depth into watching movies and television shows and i've really kind of i watch movies and tv different now man exactly yeah like i mean it's kind of changed the way that i view content now and it's like 100 percent, and i love it like and i have and now going back and watch older shows with this new eye man I've been watching The Wire. I don't know if I told you, but like I'm on season four right now. Oh no, I, I just finished season four. I'm on season five, which everybody says is the worst season, and I can kind of see why. But shoot, I think this show might be the best show HBO's ever put out. Like we the need Wire. to do, yeah, we need to do like best HBO shows, and I know we both need to watch a couple more things before we can do that. But and what I'm doing next is probably The Leftovers than The Sopranos. But I'm, I'm telling you, man, The Wire, it's it, I, I, lo- I love that show. Best HBO show I've seen to date. That's interesting because that's uh, when that come out, like 2002? Yeah, something like like, like between like 2002 and, and 2005, something like that. And like yeah. you can tell it's old, but it's great. Like some of the best acting. You have Idris Elba. You have uh, freaking um, uh, McNulty, who is uh, Dominic West. You got Michael K. Williams. Who got his start there? You got Wendell Pierce from New, from New Orleans. You got uh, Michael B. Jordan. You said that right? Mike Michael B. Jordan's in there. You got yeah. Aiden Gillen, Littlefinger's in this. Like, yeah. like it is crazy. Like some of the best actors are in this show. The Wire ran from 2002 to 2008, so it had a good run, man. And I'm not gonna. Oh, 2002 Schmodown right there. Like, look straight up. The first it, you can describe each season by like. The I guess quote unquote the the backdrop of the show because each season takes a different backdrop from the city and they use it to tell this this next part of the story. So for example, the first 
part of the story is introducing you to the cops and to the drug dealers. So it's it's typical crime. That's just the drug season. Season two, you go to the docks and you find out about ports and like what crime's going on in the port, all that stuff. That's probably the most boring season, but the way it ties together and the way it ends, it ties season one up so perfectly and it shows, man, we have a lot more to go with story. Season three, season three is... Pretty much, I would say, the return of the drugs, but it's more so politics. It's more so, like, campaigning for an election. It's like, it's the politics season. Season four, straight up, is the the teacher, like, we're in a school, uh, we're, we're dealing with the school's education system. And season five is the newspaper. So each season represents a different branch of, like, what makes a city a city, and it you and you see different aspects of crime through different lenses. It, it man, David Simon made it an incredible show, and I know I'm hijacking the first couple of minutes, but I just wanted to tell everybody how much I truly love The Wire. And I know I watched it before and talked about it before, but I have a new view on it, being that when I watched it, I was very young. I understand it so much better now. And Idris Elba and Michael K. Williams are fucking incredible. And that's Baltimore, huh? That's Baltimore, yeah. And, bro, some crazy shit happens. There. And it's based on a true story. A yeah, lot of this stuff happens. For real. Huh. So, and, and that's crazy. Like, and, and, like, when you see... Schubert, one of the seasons... I'm just... Spoiler alert for anybody for a show that came... That ended in 2008. But <laughs> in one of the seasons, they straight up... One of the cops' idea is to straight up... Instead of... Because they're trying to meet quotas to, like... To, for a certain amount of arrest quotas and bring down the crime statistics... They straight up told the drug dealers, look, do not commit crime and deal drugs in civil, uh, like fucking, what's the word I'm looking for? In populated areas, they, they straight up sent them to abandoned houses and, and abandoned uh, projects, and they straight up called it Hamsterdam. Oh, my gosh. That, it, that, like, if that doesn't intrigue, get you to watch the show, then, I, man, it is, it is, it's incredible. But, Shuby, episode 50, jam-packed. We begin the league. The league play of Pitchett starts today as well. I am. Are, are we going to put uh, your your conversation with some of the fans from Mexicon in here? I think we should at the end. Yeah, let's definitely get that conversation we had with um, Mexicon in here. We'll put that at uh, we'll put that the at very the end. end. Yeah, yeah, kind of like a little extra. Yeah, like some um, some bros who binge extra content with the fans. And shout out and shout out to all the people we talked to at MechaCon too. Yeah, we really you appreciate guys it. are new listeners and we we always like getting out and talking to people about things that we're also interested in. You know, that's and what this is all family. about. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the family. But episode uh, match number one of Pitch It starts, the season starts today. The first match is none other than the two hosts of this show battling it out, me and my boy Shuby. Yeah, we had to do it. Um, we had other things arranged, but uh, this is the way it ended up. And of course, we have some someone special from the network that's going to be the judge. So judge, we'll, yep. You'll see that when we get to, to pitch it. Yep. And then uh, next uh, pitch it will go like follows. We will have another match at the end of the month. We'll we'll try to keep pitch it contained to the beginning of the month and the end of the month. And then at the end of the year, we're going to do a playoff and we're going to have a champion. So in each year, we're going to try to uh, make this into a league. But match one, Linden versus Schubert. You can find out 
all of that and hear all that at the end of the episode. But Shuby, my brother, if you're ready, I'm ready. Let's get episode 50 started. Yeah, there's a lot of dimensions to the 50th episode, uh, and I'm ready to get into it. So let's get started. Uh, so I'm going to jump away from the notes because it's episode 50, and I think that I should. And I, there's no way I'm going to start the 50th episode of a podcast that I'm on and not talk about Star Wars. Okay. So, so um, I was listening to a lot of the people in the Star Wars space talk about some rumors that are going around. They're talking about, like, what could this next Disney Plus series be? Because we know there's supposed to be one, but we don't know what it's going to be about yet. There's rumors going around that it'll be about Darth Bane. Ooh. And for people who don't know much about Darth Bane's story, what Darth Bane is, he comes from a planet where he was kind of like a minor. He's like this really, imagine like a 6'4", super jacked guy who discovers that he has force powers and only gets taught by the Sith army. And at this time, it's, you know, the older public, there's like... Hundreds of Sith and there's hundreds of Jedi in, in, was in the world. Was he not a Jedi at first? Or was no. he not? He was always a Sith? Yeah. Or who, who am I thinking of that? Oh, no, Darth Revan. That's yeah. who was the, yeah, that's who I'm thinking of. Bane's yeah. like Protean. Yeah, Re- yeah uh, Revan is uh, hi- is like in, already at the, the height of his deal here at this point when Bane comes yeah. in. Bane learns a lot from him. He... He had, he learns a, he learns a lot from his situation. He's Darth Bane is the guy who comes up with the idea of the rule of two. So pretty much Darth Bane's story is that he realizes that there's no way that the Sith will ever beat the Jedi with hundreds of Sith because there's always going to be people in the Sith that are fighting for power. Yeah. And so he's like, well, we we got to just cancel all this and just make it the Master and the Apprentice. So he kills all the Sith. That yo okay to not to cut you off. This makes a lot of sense. If this is the Disney Plus show, being that we have Benioff and Weiss's trilogy coming, and yeah. and that tells me they're going into the Old Republic. Let's build that. The, that tells me their story might be more around Darth Revan and what came before Bane. Let's exactly. build out the universe and then give Bane a show. Yeah, and so after he wipes out the Sith, it's he just establishes that rule of two. What the, I've heard the rumor is is they want to start with him having already have beaten all of the Sith and just now starting the rule of two and what that's like. So maybe that's maybe that's a look ahead to what Benioff and Weiss are trying to do and they're trying to maybe build to that ultimate ending mm-hmm. with a, with Darth Bane coming in. And then you you know make a series off that character or if off they want to just. Or if they just want to do a, an old Republic story and then kind of have this dark space before they bring in the Darth Bane. I just yeah, thought it was an interesting yeah. rumor. Because no, that, that's a very interesting rumor. And that goes into something that I didn't put on the notes that I wanted to bring up to you. Might as well do it now. We're, sure. getting, a, we're getting a Mandalorian trailer at D23. Yeah, D23, yeah. And we're getting a lot more. We're getting Marvel announcements. They're doing a whole Disney Plus thing. We have a Marvel announcement later down in the show, but... D23, I'm excited for at the end of this month because we're going to finally get our first look at The Mandalorian, my second most anticipated show of 2019. For sure. Um, the Mandalorian is going to be really exciting. I think uh, that it almost could overshadow the movie depending on how that goes. Oh, I think bro, a lot think more people. Will. Yeah, I, th- I, I think a we'll probably get almost all the way through the show before we even start the move before the movie even releases so 
I mean, it's definitely getting people ready to go see the movie. Because the Mandalorian drops that, like everybody thought it's the like, Marvel uh, content was going to drop with Disney Plus, but no, the Mandalorian is going to be ready day one of Disney yeah. Plus. So that's it, bro. You already know how we feel about this. Like I, I am way more excited for the Mandalorian and with John Favreau and uh D- Dave Filoni are doing more so than I am about that movie. Like yeah, it's JJ coming back, and of course I want to see how he closes it. But if you ask me to rate my my hype level for Star Wars, oh Mandalorian's number one. And and also going back to the the Darth Bane discussion, imagine this if if they do choose Darth Bane, it's kind of something that you can really play around with because it has no parameters within the old Star Wars lore, and it's going to be the first time you get a lightsaber series. Big facts. That that was something I would love more lightsabers. Like the Old Republic is where we're going to get lightsaber stuff, where we can get more stories like that. And being that all the Old Republic canon quote unquote is legends so they have a blank canvas and they can make it how they want if darth bane is the case i really want dave filoni to be involved because we need people who understand star wars to make this right yeah and what i'm what i've also heard about the production team going into the old republic or not the old republic movies but that's what i'm gonna call them the old republic movies Uh, i'm hearing that a lot of people that were uh, involved with the game are going to end up on the writing staff. Ooh, now that's good. That is good. So and that's the, that's the thing. Like, it's great that we're going to get out of canon lore, but we're also going to hopefully utilize the legends the f- of the past. Yeah, and, and because and a lot of that was great storytelling. Right. No, you like yeah. you don't you don't have to do it. You know, word for word. Uh, because do it like, I mean, Marvel. like, like well, Marvel, like Marvel, the way they use the comics, they take a comic idea from that and they take some of the stuff from the comics, some of the aspects, but they make their own story. That way you can let creators be free, but you still use that blueprint of what was there in the past. Yeah, exactly. I just think that um, there's definitely a lot of tools out there to be used, and that was always the big argument for Star Wars fans with the first batch of stuff that we got was that it didn't seem like they even wanted to tap into those legends uh, for the for the, the new movie series yeah um yeah which kind of sucked but and, uh, I mean, and, and depending on what we find out about ray's real parents they might have used more from from legends than we realized with the solo uh kids uh yeah yeah we'll see i don't know we gotta see i don't wait hold don't don't we'll just wait but that um, you, you you know that rumor was flirting around uh early this year with JJ. I mean that, that yeah, I mean that's always been a rumor. So, I'm I, I think there's a lot of people that are just trying to will that, but I, I think there there might be some kind of interesting thing, but I, I really don't feel like they're going to put in a a big three tie-in. We shall see. I we I don't know, man. Cuz JJ wanted to go a certain way after And I don't and I don't know what I want either. Me neither. Like, at, I, the, at this at this point I don't know what I want cuz I was so accepting of what had happened. Then I was like, okay, well, you know, I can deal with that. And then, like, I guess it would be kind of a cop out if she was like a Skywalker. Yeah, but what if she's a what if she's a Solo or a Kenobi? I think well, if it's a Kenobi, that that's interesting because we know that that is a possibility, and we don't know what Obi Wan did when he was off on his own. Or she's uh, a Palpatine. Like I, I would rank it Kenobi one, Palpatine two, Solo three. Well, I just don't. The thing I would say with Solo is I just don't feel like they want to make him that much of a scoundrel, especially oh, in a family-oriented network like Disney. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to completely make Sohan Solo the 
the cheating the cheater, yeah, the cheating spouse, <laughs> like, like that's just such a dick move to do. <laughs> that I, that would make it real because he is that. I and mean, it would it would definitely make it real, but I mean, like, I I have a hard time thinking that they're gonna Disney try does and, that. Yeah. Well, and I mean, even to the Star Wars fan base, like, you know, there's a lot of people who would be accepting of something like that, but there's a, way more people that wouldn't be. I think the Leia fans wouldn't be. Yeah, I mean, it'd be the, if people who were really invested in, like, the books, they would understand that there's definitely times where he was off, and a lot of those times he had, he was, like... Yeah, he had wasn't other like, lovers. Wasn't, like, relationships. Like, I don't know about lovers. I never really read anything about lovers, but he had a lot of girls that he hung around, and he, like, mentored a lot of girls, which made sense yep. for his characterization of him wanting to mentor Rey. Yeah. But, but every time I read a book with Han Solo, and he was mentoring some girl. And he, you know what he was doing? He was, he was being a... A, a, a cheater, a scoundrel. <laughs> maybe, a, maybe. Pop, uh, Han Solo's a Rolling Stone. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but, but yeah, that, yeah, that's all I got. That was Star what Wars. I wanted to talk about with Star Wars. So let's get into the notes now. Um, the first thing we have, we have a bunch of trailers to go through, and I'll, I'll start off with Gemini Man because Will Smith is awesome, and it looks super cool to have him in this really gr- nicely done CGI younger Will. Um, and of course, he brought in his son's song icon for the trailer. I thought that was pretty hype. Yeah, that was dope. Good shout You know, Will's gonna take care of his family. But from the first trailer, the CGI definitely looks a lot better. And man, I'm excited for this. This is this is uh, what's the director's name? He's a great director. Ang Lee. And this is Ang Lee and Will Smith. Can't ask for anything more. And and we're gonna see uh, uh the old girl from uh, Ramona Flowers. Uh. Mm. What's it uh, from? Who's gonna be in Birds of Prey? Kate Winslet, I think. Oh no, no. Uh, Ma- uh, Mary. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Mary Elizabeth Ma- Winstead. Mary we were on the right track. She's she's in there too, so I'm excited. This this movie has my hype, and the trailer did a good job. Yeah, I'm definitely all about going to see this movie. I've Will Smith always kind of sets the tone for anyone wanting to go see something because i mean big actor you're gonna go want to go see it but i think this is going to be really well done and which is good because you see a lot of these actors that we've loved in the past start doing movies that were like oh well we win because of you and i don't know if i should have and this is and they're getting back to that look man after seeing once upon a time in hollywood i know we're gonna talk about that later on that's our review for the week but after seeing brad and leo it's like I, my act, our, our actors are getting old, man. So I gotta support Will while I can't, while while he's still doing it and putting out quality before he goes into that Pacino phase. Because I know people grew, who grew up watching Pacino were like, "Man, Pacino was great in the beginning, but then he fell off as he got older." I need to support Will, Brad, Leo, Denzel while I can before they get old. And and I'm not saying that they'll fall off, but you know what I mean. While they're putting out good quality, I need to support that. For sure, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, but that's all I really have on Gemini, man. Uh, so let's move into the probably one of the more anticipated shows for people for a while. Mindhunter season two, they came out with their first little teaser trailer. Did you get a chance to check it out, Lennon? Oh yeah, man! I definitely enjoyed it. I don't. I know you don't remember too much of season one, and we talked a little bit about. It's this been a while, there. man. Like but, I, I remember seeing it. Like I watched it like right when it came out. When I was doing that podcast for fo- that football podcast, so that was like two years ago in the fall, like October, like that. I haven't seen that like years. So yeah, I mean, no, that it took them forever to to put this together. 
That show was on our first end of the year review, like best TV shows. Oh yeah, it was. That was that was one of mine, and I'm super excited for season two. There, and speaking of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, their serial killer for this season is Charles Manson. Uh, I believe it. I wouldn't say it's the serial killer. I'd say well, it's one of them because I mean, yeah, they looked like they interviewed a few guys. It's one. He's like the main guy for the season. For the season, he, but they definitely have multiple. And funny enough, the guy who played Charles Manson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is playing him again in Mindhunter. I hope this oh, wow, that's okay. great. Yeah, I hope he's okay after all of this. Because you know how I just get into like these, these, like the, they get in the character. This dude's been Charles Manson for like a while now. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, and we'll talk about it one time upon a time in Hollywood. But like, he wasn't really Charles Manson for that long. Like, let's not be, let's be real. Yeah. Like, all uh, right, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that like, when we get there. Let, let, let's hold off. Like, I don't now. think this guy's had to they had to dwell being Charles Manson for very long. Well, maybe for Mindhunter you did, because well, they're yeah, actually... Yeah, Mindhunter is a totally different thing, yeah. Yeah, because he has the beard, he has the uh, swastika symbol on his forehead. Like, they're, they're going, like, deep into Manson. And the same guy who played uh, in Umbre an Umbrella Academy, who played the uh, one of the uh, uh, hitmen, he's back as the consultant serial killer. So the same people are back. I'm excited for Mindhunter. Oh, yeah. Too. Yep. So I'm yeah, ready I'm, to go. Yeah, it was a great... It was great the, that they gave us something to anticipate uh, it coming out. Well, it's going to be at the end of the month, huh? Yeah. Yeah, because we've been waiting on this for so long. And like, yeah. I, I hope that they give us everything that we've been waiting for. Yep, and the actor's name is Cameron Britton, who, who was in Umbrella Academy and who's the serial killer in Mindhunter. He's coming back. I'm definitely going to have to go back and watch the first season again just because oh, yeah, me I, too. I don't really remember what was going on. Like, maybe not have to watch the beginning so much, maybe, like, the second half. Yeah, but... I'm going to definitely start in the middle and, and watch the end just to uh, remind myself of how the season ended. Even though For I sure. remember, but I just want to get some of those minute details because David Fincher really... I think is going to pull a lot from season one to layer on to season two. Dope. Yeah. Um, the only other thing that I have to say is that there was another Netflix trailer that dropped this week. It was for 13 reasons why season three, and then they canceled mm -hmm. the show right after that. Ah! So, I'll tell you what I won't be watching. <laughs> well, good for that. But speaking on Netflix, the new trailer for the Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, gangster movie, The Irishman just dropped. And you should know by the tone of my voice that I am hype. I love the trailer because I love, not only do I love Pacino, De Niro, and Pesci, I love Martin Scorsese, one of my favorite directors. But on top of that, it's back in my favorite genre of crime. Schubert, the de-aging technology looks pretty freaking great and yeah. i feel like they're about to tell a damn good story this is oscar contender right here yeah i think that it's definitely going to be maybe something that's oscar contending i think it's going to be a great story loving that it's on netflix yeah yeah like, but see, gonna... this is one of those that i would i would want to see in the theaters though i would go see this in the theater but i do like that it's on netflix yeah well i mean the reason i say that is because the one gripe i had about going to see one upon a time in Hollywood that it was going to be so long. I feel like this is going to be one of these epic movies that may near the three-hour range. Yeah. And so I, I want to watch it at home. But okay, like, I feel. That's, but that's just me. I, I'm, some, I'm super excited about it. Uh, I f like I said, I feel like it's going to be some kind of epic movie where there's going to be just all these elements of the story and we're going to get a lot in this. 
Uh, I feel like they've been working on this for a while, too, and we haven't really seen a lot of these actors doing anything else in this time period. So, And and we definitely... I don't even know if we've... like. We've been waiting for this movie for a while, and I don't. Even That's what know I'm thinking. Talk, I'm thinking it's like two or three years. Yeah, like the Irish. It, okay, so it's the story of Frank Sheeran, a mob hitman and World War II vet who develops his skills during his service in Italy. Now an old man, he reflects on the events that defined his career as a hitman, particularly in the role he played in the disappearance labor leader Jimmy Hoffa, his longtime friend, and his involvement with the Buffalino crime family. This is about to be. Epic. Robert De Niro as the Irishman hitman Frank Sheeran. This sounds Pacino. like it's gonna be this sounds like it's gonna be told in some kind of notebook shit where it's like old old man like talking and hanging out and he's like, Yeah, and then we go back into the story. And then it's Yeah, like, and we and, go back into his life. Him and, yeah. and Al Pacino's playing Jimmy Hoffa and uh Joe Pesci's playing Ruffa, Russell Buffalino. So they're all playing people that are e- integral to this story. One's the hitman, one's Jimmy Hoffa. I would the, hope so. The leader, want, and then Joe Pesci, nope. the head of the crime family. I wouldn't want these dudes just having cameos. <laughs> yeah, big fat, like, yeah. So I'm super excited for this score. Sage's back in the saddle because I'm going to be honest, his last movie with our boy Adam Driver and uh, Andrew Garfield, it wasn't really my thing. You know what I mean? That wasn't my type of Scorsese movie. Well, I, uh, we were talking about the one about the priests. Yeah, it was the, uh, it was the, the silence, well, hold on. Yes. Yes, that wasn't too much of my my cup of tea. Yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, I didn't really. I wasn't it's not, into that. Exactly, but I'm excited for this though. So, Irishman coming soon to Netflix. Uh, do you do we know its release date? I feel I like this year, huh? Yeah, I think so. Let's see, Irishman Netflix. I'll tell. Uh, it's oh well, they didn't give a release date. They said mm. just 20, they just said 2019. Hmm. Uh, well, it's got to be in the fall of 2019. So yeah. So uh, oh September. Maybe it's scheduled to premiere uh, at the New York Film Festival on uh, September 27th, no, uh, 2019. So, and it's going to have a limited theater release followed by digital streaming late in 2019. So we'll probably be, we're definitely going to be seeing it before the end of the year because it's trying to make Oscar season. So, Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so We'll see you. I'm excited yeah. about it. Me too, man. The next trailer we have is Zombieland 2. Schubert, I didn't see too many zombies in this trailer, but we saw the same <laughs> cast of characters being funny. Did you enjoy it? Uh, what I really liked about the trailer was the intro of the trailer where they're like, o- Oscar Oscar winner, Emma Stone. Yeah. <laughs> o- Oscar nominee, <laughs> Ju- yeah. Julie- Jesse Eisenberg. Eisenberg. Oscar nominee, Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson, Oscar nominee, Abigail Breslin. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then they have them doing some, you know, their some usual zombie land. Shit. Yeah. Outlandish shit. Uh, yeah, living in the White House shit. That shit was funny. But yeah. we didn't see too many zombies. No, I didn't see too many zombies, but a, a lot of new characters. So I think we're going to really see the element of people and other groups and gatherings. And I, I, I just, that's what I'm assuming because we didn't really see a lot of that in the first one. Mm-hmm. They were very isolated. Yeah, I feel like it was like more, you know, earlier in the time of the zombie apocalypse so that there was still places that were pretty much not too wild, uh, I, I would say. But uh, but maybe now we've, with the time jump, because it's been a while. Yeah, it has. Um, it'll definitely be more of like a wasteland zombie apocalypse society. Yeah, like humanity starting to regain some 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 land and we're seeing human humans come back together. Sure, yeah. 
Some Maybe they have a better, yeah, better ways of containing, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, one hundred percent. Well, Zombie Land Two. I don't have too much else to say about it. I'm not. No, my I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not, gonna see it. Yeah, I'm gonna watch it. Maybe at home, but I'm not. Too I'm probably gonna go see it in the theater. Oh, look at you! As of now, I'd say out of all the trailers we've discussed, it's fourth on my excitement list. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'll see what what's what's going on when uh, the week that comes out. You'll probably see it. Yeah, probably so. Yeah, but that's yeah. all I got on Zombieland. Um, the next thing is Queen and Slim. Did Did you see this when you were watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, with uh, the Lena the Lena Waithe movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. What did you think about it? I thought, it was, I thought it was cool. It's gonna be like African American Bonnie and Clyde, like in, in modern down, times. Yeah, modern times exactly. I'm always down to watch a crime movie. I really like Daniel Kaluuya. Lena Waithe's a great storyteller. I'm actually gonna go see this in theaters probably. Yeah, I think um, it's gonna be an interesting movie. Uh, I don't really know, you know. I don't really know too what too much I could say about it. Uh, yeah, like I said, it, it's it's the it, the premise of this is it's a it's pretty much the black uh, Bonnie and Clyde movie. Let me give you a. Quick... I do love how they how they meet because it's like a, a couple's first date takes an ex- unexpected turn because like they were on like that Tinder date or whatever. Yep. So pretty much on a first date, when an overzealous menacing cop pulls him over for a traffic violation, the encounter turns deadly when Slim, shooting the cop in self-defense, which is caught on camera, goes viral. They go on the run and become folk heroes to the people of the country, becoming the new age Bonnie and Clyde. So yeah, dope. Were Bonnie and Clyde folk heroes, though? I don't think like, so. Like, I don't I, think people were rooting for Bonnie and Clyde, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think people are... I think they're going to be rooting for them. I kind of added the Bonnie and Clyde thing at the end. That was not on the official premise. But, I mean, that was also on the trailer, though. Mm. Was it? Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. But Queen and Slim, man. Queen and Slim. Uh, and then the next one is Harriet. So the All Harriet right. Tubman biopic. Can I be honest? Can I be 100% honest? I don't like slave movies. I really don't. And Besides Django. Yes, and... Django was a different type of slave movie because it felt empowering and at the same time it didn't rely on slavery if that makes sense like I get when you're telling a slavery movie you're gonna rely on it heavily but Django it wasn't like the main thing I get we need a Harry Tubman biopic this is gonna be great for African-American culture and American history it's gonna be great for all people but me as an African-American male I am done with slave movies. I, I, I don't like seeing them. They make me uncomfortable, and I've seen enough of them, and I'm not going to go watch this. I'm just being honest. But it's great for the culture. I'm, I'm happy for that actress because she gets to play such, a, 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 such an iconic American hero. It's going to be great for American history because we need movies like this. But as for me, as a, like I said, as an African-American, I am sick of slave movies, and I don't like them. Yeah, that's, I, I was going to go with Talking about Cynthia Ervo as well, I'm really excited that she's getting this role. Uh, I, re- I really loved her in uh, Bad Times at the El Royale. Same. So I'm excited, like you said, that she's going to get such an iconic role here and probably really jumpstart her acting career. Uh, and I'm not really interested in seeing it, but I probably will see it because it does actually look pretty cool through the trailer. I I have heard a lot of stuff about Harry Tubman, uh, so I want to see what gets what gets in, what you know, how they do it. 
And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not. I don't really know how too much to say about Harriet as well. You know. I'm, yeah, I mean that. Like, like I said, it, the stuff with the underground railroad. It, it will be empowering because you're going to see her escape and and do so such so many great things for African Americans at that time. And it's good, like you said, it's going to be an impactful movie. Great for that actress. I loved her in Bad Times at the El Royale. But in terms of me personally, if I'm being honest, I'm not going to lie to the fans. I don't like slave movies. I'm probably not going to go see this. All right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's all, all I have with that. One hundred percent. The next trailer is 1917, a war movie with Benedict Cumberbatch. Schubert, did you watch this trailer? Yes, and this is something that I will be seeing in the theater. Yeah, me too. This one. This looks see, great. It. What Dunkirk was a cinematic experience. I, I won't call it a masterpiece, but it was damn good. But the storyline of Dunkirk was very hard to follow. It was very action based. The plot wasn't. It, it, it wasn't a typical storytelling movie, per se. It was more show than don't tell. This is my type of war movie. It's going to show you and it's going to tell you that we know the mission already from the trailer. He has to deliver this to tell the people to not attack because if they do, they will get slaughtered. It will be a massacre. And I want to see if this guy succeeds in his mission. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it sounds really great. It's going to be kind of like... Uh... I feel like some of the best war movies are the are the caravan ones, you know, like the Saving Private Ryan's or yeah. um, even Fury. Uh, so, you know, seeing these two guys going on this mission is going to be really interesting, and all the people that they meet along the way, the different different phases of a war from the front lines to different battle battlegrounds, and how you know, especially. Going back to World War One, where we don't really see a lot of those stories be told, I think that you know World War Two is the I wouldn't call any war glamorous, but it's it the one probably, that Hollywood. It's the one the that most. everyone likes to use the most. Yep, no, I'm with you, and, and maybe we'll see some trench style warfare like we did in Wonder oh, Woman. Yeah. So I'm ex- yeah, I'm definitely gonna check this out. Yeah, uh, let's let's talk about the cast for a second. Unbelievable. You know, Richard Madden, Benedict Cumberbatch, Mark Strong, Colin Firth. Uh, Damn, I didn't even know Richard Madden was in it. I didn't even see him in the trailer. They just showed the, the two boys running on the journey and Benedict Cumberbatch. Well, and uh, of the two boys, one of them is Tommen from Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah, and, one of them is. Yeah, and this other guy is George McKay, which I don't I haven't really seen any of his work. So Unknown actor. But, good, good for him. But good for him. Yeah, yeah 100%. I'm going to definitely check out... 1917. The next thing we have is the one. Oh, and it's, my- oh, by the way, by the way, that's coming out on Christmas. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. A good Christmas Day war movie. Maybe it, it's probably not gonna be my Christmas Day movie because Star Wars is coming out. But it, it depending on if I go see two movies because sometimes I do during Christmas, it has potential to be the second. It depends on if what you're gonna see Star Wars what the second time that day because it's already coming out before that. Oh, well then never mind. Then Star Wars will be seen way before that. <laughs> Word. I thought it came out on Christmas Day. My my mistake, ladies and gentlemen. But the next trailer is for the Tom Hanks, Mr. Roger movie, Won't You Be My Neighbor. Schubert, what'd you think? Were you a Mr. Rogers fan? Yeah, I like Mr. Rogers. Um, Did you enjoy the trailer? Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not the most giant per- fan of, like, emotional biopics. Yeah, I feel you. Uh, so it's not really something that I'm, like, super clamoring for. And I'm also kind of it's not that I have any knock on Tom Hanks as an actor or anything, but I feel like he plays everybody. 
<laughs> Tom, I, I heard something about Tom Hanks the other day where it was like he he's one of the most famous actors. He plays in movie roles, but you never see anything about him on TMZ. He just does his work and he goes home. Well, yeah, but I'm, not anything with that, but I mean, like, I just feel like he's put, playing too many historical figures. Ah, you got a point. He's played. He's played a lot, and he's gonna be in this Elvis biopic. Oh yeah, as Elvis's manager. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so I mean, like, even in like, you know, what wasn't he in the the post? Yeah, he was. That's pretty much a biopic. I mean, like, he's playing like lots of real life people, which is kind he of he played the out. he played the attorney for the Russian spy thing. He played. Uh, he played the. Oh well, that's a fictional book. Never mind. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I, I was about to say Robert Langdon, but that's, yeah, that's fictional character. That's fictional character, but still, Tom Hanks is playing a lot of people, and and like you said, this is a sad biopic. And for me to like a sad biopic, I have to really like the it's person not, they're doing it about. And, and I don't necessarily think it's sad. It's, I guess it's kind of uplifting, but like emotional is a better word. Yeah, emotional. And yeah, I really have to be more invested in the person they're telling the story about. And Mr. Rogers, I watched it, but that wasn't really. That was before our time, if I'm being perfectly honest. Like, I mean, Mr. I definitely he, watched a shit ton of it. No, I watched it, but it's just it did. It, it wasn't my cup of tea. As well as me, if anybody's out here is a Black Dynamite fan, the old Adult Swim uh, show, they did a Mr. Rogers episode, and I can never get that out of my head. Mr. Nah. Rogers was so nice to people, but he was when he he had a mental breakdown and he had to start killing people because the adults wouldn't listen to his message, and, and he was just killing niggas. That show was hilarious, Ron. Look. Fans out there, if you like adult animation, go check out Black Dynamite and look up the Mr. Rogers episode because it's hilarious. Crazy. Yep. Oh, um, the one scene I did like in the trailer, I, I loved that scene where they're singing to him in the subway. Subway, like, that, that yeah, nice. that was cute. Yeah, yeah. That, was a, that was a good moment, for sure. Definitely. So, um, did we talk about this Dr. Doolittle movie? The one with Robert Downey Jr.? Yeah. Yeah, we've talked about it before. Because like, it sounds really dope. Yeah, go go a little. Don't they have like a lot of dope voice actors like Scarlett Johansson? Don't they have like a bunch? Uh, I mean, it's the Robert voice Down- animals. Yeah, like they have a ton of people, and the one like, of course, that really strikes strikes a chord with everyone is that he's gonna get reunited with Tom Holland. Oh yeah, Tom Holland's one of the animals. Yeah, Tom Holland, Selena Gomez. Rami Malek, Kumail Nanjani, Emma Thompson, John Cena, uh, Octavia Spencer, Craig Robinson. Yeah, it's called The Voyage of Dr. Doolittle. Ralph Fiennes? Did you say Ralph uh, Fiennes? No, yeah, he he as well, yeah. Ralph Fiennes. Kumail? uh, Antonio Banderas is not going to be a voice. He's going to be in person. Ooh, okay. And so is Michael Sheen. He's also going to be in person. And then our guy, Craig Robinson. Yeah. Shout out to Craig. All right, so well, I thought Scarlett was in it, but she's not. It's Emma Thompson. My mistake. But yeah, I, I just was, look, I was watching a video, and it was like, you know, annou- announcing this full cast and like talking about the premise and like showing some set pictures. And it looks really interesting. It's almost like Robert Downey Jr. is the Mad Hatter. Like, I really want to look back into the lore of Dr. Doodle because, of course, everyone only really knows that Eddie Murphy Dr. Doodle, but there was a Dr. Doodle like early on and there's a book and this is a, based off a book. So I feel like uh, this Dr. Be Doolittle is almost like, you know, you know how uh, 
this is kind of a weird example, but you know how Willy Wonka talks about like how he would go on these adventures to see the yeah. Goombas and shit like that? Yeah. That's what I'm imagining this being like, because it seems like Robert Downey Jr. is going to be an eccentric and uh, he's going to be traveling. Yeah, eccentric doctor traveling the world. So, I don't know. Sounds pretty cool. I'm into yeah, it. Yeah, it does sound really cool. So and I, I, I'm a big Downey fan. So I'm a big Downey Jr. fan. So. But, you know, what do you think about like doing it this way and taking... Uh, away from the Dr. Doolittles that we've known in the past? Like, do you think it's a benefit that they're changing up, or do you think that it's kind of a knock on the old Dr. Doodles that they're changing oh, no. up? It, you need to change it up, give it fresh ideas, fresh legs, because it, if they did the same Eddie Murphy stick, it, 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 it'll be, it's just a kid's movie, and that, that movie felt straight to DVD, whereas if you do it this way, you broaden it, you can, it, it's a theater movie, not only do you kids see it, but you have adults that like it. You may even get some teens. It, it, it expands the universe and it makes Doctor Doolittle, Doctor Doolittle, more than just the typical veterinarian who talks to animals in this kitty shtick. and makes it, like you said, like a Willy Wonka esque character now. Yeah. So, uh, what I found out as well is that this movie's already done. Oh, nice. And it was supposed to come out the weekend of Endgame, or the weekend before Endgame, or something around that time, and they were like, well, obviously we can't do this. Okay, so it's coming out soon, then. And it's going to come out in January. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Good for them. Yeah, so uh, the next thing I want to talk about is, uh, you know, John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein were going to do The Flash, but now they're going to direct Dungeons & Dragons. Good for them. I'm glad they're away from the Flash. We don't need that. that <laughs> we don't need that around there because those dudes are trying to make a happy-go-lucky Flash movie. Y'all go make happy-go-lucky Dungeons and Dragons and watch these nerds explode on y'all if that's if that shit not right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of worried that that's gonna end up more like that Warcraft movie. Look, that Warcraft movie wasn't as bad as people made it seem. Really, I never saw it. I saw it and like my dad. Was it pretty played, good. Yeah, look, my dad played the original World of Warcraft game and he said it was. It, it, it's not the game that everybody like it tells like the the earlier stories and stuff so people who went and watched it were like where's my main story but no it's telling the earlier stuff it was pretty good i like travis himmel in it i liked the actors it bad cgi of course but i'd say it was like a c plus c interesting interesting it wasn't an f it was not it was not an f or a d it yeah, was entertaining that's, that's the only thing i can think to compare it to because i don't know I, I guess this could be very Lord of the Rings esque, but they obviously didn't get a group of guys that are going to make a Lord of the Rings movie, you know? No, yeah, this this seems like it might be a stinker. And I guess like some of the the bit of Dungeons and Dragons is there is a little ounce of comedy in some of it, so like maybe My it's going to be like almost like you, people playing Dungeons and Dragons and like a, that. There we go. That's what I was going to yeah. say. Do you th do you think it's going to be straight fantasy or do you think it's going to be Jumanji esque and they're going to go? kitty with it where we see a bunch of kids playing Dungeons and Dragons and then it's their characters doing the quest I think I think that could be the way it goes yeah that's like with, with, see, with seeing this these guys attached to it that's the only way I can think it's gonna go because I just don't see them making epic I could be wrong because like who would have thought some of these horror directors would have been able to, to accomplish the things that they've been able to accomplish so uh, I'm not going to no, completely I, count them out for that, but like I just can't imagine them making some kind of fantasy epic. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. That's why I said that. That when 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 we when you said these guys, I was like, wait, this is how this movie's going to be. They're going to do some damn Jumanji. Like the kids are playing, and we're going to watch the kids' game. Oh, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So I don't know. I never really played Dungeons and Dragons. I do have some friends who got really into it. Um, me and my friends sure started that... talking about. Me and my friends the other day were talking about doing a role playing uh, game sesh thing. But I was saying we need to do not Dungeons and Dragons or take like there's a Star Wars RP RP uh, role playing game. There's a DC. Like if I'm gonna do a role playing game, I'm not doing Dungeons and Dragons. I'm gonna do the <laughs> IP that I think is fire. Like a Star Wars role playing game would be fucking amazing. They do the same thing like that. Yeah, they do. And you roll the dice. You have a game master. It's the same thing. There's role playing games for all different IPs. We should really look into that. That's interesting. But yeah, interesting. that's all, that's all I got on on uh, different uh, intellectual property role playing games. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, the next story is Paul Walter Hauser's and talks to join Amazon and Disney's Corella. I really wanted to bring this up uh, because. I, I don't remember talking about this for a while, and you know we have Maleficent coming, and later on in Pitch It, we're going to talk about villains getting their own movie. So that's a little tease, but uh, <laughs> but anyway, like you know, what do you think about this Emma Stone, Corella movie? Paul, you know the 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 actor that I'm talking about. If you don't remember him, he was the guy no, in Black Klansman. I, I know exactly who he is because he looks like one of the one of some some guy I went to high school with. Shout out to yeah, my that's right, that's right. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he looks exactly like him. So, no, man. This, okay, I'm going to be honest with you. Good good for this guy. Good for Emma Stone. It'll probably be one of Disney's better movies, live action movies, because Emma Stone's such a great actress. But I wasn't a big fan of 101 Dalmatians, the cartoon. And I wasn't a big fan of 101 Dalmatians when they did the live action the first time. Damn, you didn't like the cartoon. The cartoon was all right. If, if you ask me my favorite Disney animal stuff, and you're talking about domesticated animals. I'm going Aristocats and Oliver and Company before I go 101 Dalmatians and Lady and the Tramp. I'm sorry. Aristocats and Oliver and Company are way better than those two movies. I don't disagree with you. <laughs> so in terms of Cruella, I mean, I, and that's why I said, like, this, I think Emma Stone's such a great actress that I think is going to be successful in a smash. But well, I also think that Cruella's an interesting person to take on. Like, I would have rather seen Cruella than Maleficent. Yeah, okay. I agree with that because there's more story room for that than Maleficent. I'm with you. For sure. And it's also something that can be really grounded in reality. Which yeah, is kind of interesting. But a lot less fantasy. You know, 101 Dalmatians really draws no bit of fantasy, so this isn't going to be mystical magical. This could be Man, kind of like pretty gritty. I'm trying to think of all the Disney villains that could get a movie, and Cruella's, like, Cruella's probably Cruella's the one that... Like, the one. the one that you'd want, you know? Yeah, no, she really is. She's the only one that I see that could get one because every other one relies on the prince or princess to tell their story. The one thing I wouldn't want out of this movie is, like, if it's some about all about a dog heist and that they lose out <laughs> on the dog heist because that's pretty much 101 Dalmatians. Yeah, no, I'm with you. <laughs> dog like, heist. Like, Cruella's got to be, like, cunning. She's got to be, like, getting getting shit done, you know? Like she's got to yeah, be no, uh, like like Mal in Maleficent. Maleficent is the hero of that movie. Like you know, Corella's got to be the hero of this movie for sure. And I, I think they'll, you know they'll do it right. The Tanya director Craig Gillespie is uh, the one who's in charge. And um, yeah, Emma Thompson's also going to be on this too. Oh yeah, is Emma playing? Is she? She's not. She's not playing Corella. That's Emma Stone. Who's Emma Thompson playing? I don't know. But she's also going to star in it, so. Okay, it's all, cool. It's not supposed to come out, I believe, until, like, 2020, like, a little later in 2020. So, then, you know, they're just putting it together now. 
Okay, they're just getting everything ready. Yeah, for sure, for sure. 100%. Well, good for Emma Stone, good for Paul Walter Heiser, or whatever his name is, playing yeah. in Cruella. Probably Race, ra- racist guy in black clans. <laughs> Who looks like Lyndon's friend from high school. <laughs> he really does. But next, next Christmas, th- that's when it comes out. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Next up, we have Aquaman star Jason Momoa is set to produce and star in the revenge thriller Sweet Girl for Netflix. Momoa will portray a husband who vows to bring justice to the people responsible for his wife's death while also protecting his daughter. Greg Hurwitz and Philip Eisner wrote the script with current revisions by Will Staples. Brian Andrew Mendoza will make his featured directorial debut with Sweet Girl, which renounced, which reunites him with Momoa. The pair worked together on the 2018 actioner Braven in the Netflix and Discovery Canada's TV series Frontier, which is actually pretty damn good. I actually yeah. enjoy Frontier a lot. Sweet Girl, look, Jason Momoa is about to be... Uh, Name uh, if if Punisher is Coke, he's about to be Check or Pepsi for Netflix. Their version of the Punisher, because that's what this is. I I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, they lose Netflix lost the Punisher, so they have to kind of have their have a new own one. Punisher. I guess. Yeah. Uh, this is. I mean, this is pretty much that. But I mean, Jason Momoa should should be pretty interesting, and uh, it kind of reminds me of like Punisher mixed with like Taken. I guess. Yeah, yeah, because he's protecting his daughter at the yeah. same time while he while he's getting revenge for his wife's death. For sure. So yeah, a yeah. little bit of both. Yeah, I'm wondering where the setting is going to be and all that. Like, I think there's definitely a lot of things that could be added to this to make it more interesting. But as of right now, I'm just waiting to see. Yeah, it might be something to watch on a rainy day. Yeah, give it a check on Netflix soon. But next up, we got some Marvel news and rumors. Look, I'm saying this on the pod before it drops. I tweeted this. I am, I, I shout out to Daniel RPK. He, he, and shout out to everybody who else I've been hearing this from, because not only him, Black Panther 2's villain is Namor, and it's getting announced at D23. I'm, I'm, I'm stupid. I'm putting our name on the line. I'm staking it. Bros who binge. Namor is going to be the villain of Black Panther 2, and they're going to announce that along with some Captain Marvel stuff. Maybe, may now this is the biggest maybe, uh, Fantastic Four and X-Men get a little bit more stuff announced at D23. I think Phase 5 is getting announced there as well as Guardians 3. But we also have, uh, they're planning on introducing Galactus and Tyrant in the near future. And while it's hardly a surprise, we're going to get a comic accurate version of the World Eater. He's uh, Galactus is is being prepared to be the next uh, full universe threat in the form of Thanos, as well as we find that Falcon and Winter Soldier, the premise will be the government doesn't want Falcon to be Captain America, so it's it's going to be about him getting, getting earning the mantle and showing the government why Steve made that choice. I, I just want to see how Bucky plays into this as well. Schubert, out of all the things I just said about Marvel, what's exciting you? Um, yes, so you were talking about Namor, so they're pretty much going to bring in Aquaman. Yeah, but see, the difference... Evil Aquaman. He's like, he's an... Namor's pretty much Aquaman and Black Adam fuse, pretty much, because he's a king of his own civilization, just like Aquaman, but in terms of why I say Black Adam, the way that Black Adam's a king and how he doesn't mess necessarily like the American government of the Justice League. Some in some stories he does, in some stories he doesn't. That's how Namor is. Namor can be a hero. He's a part of the Illuminati, the Marvel Illuminati, which is all the uh, like Charles Xavier, Reed Richards, Tony Stark, 
Doctor Strange, him, Black Panther, that's their, uh, that's the Marvel Illuminati, or he can be a villain. And if you remember at the end of Endgame, when they talked about that earthquake going on underwater near Wakanda, and uh, Black Widow was like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And she was like, we just need to let this be right now, Nat. I think that's going to be, like, that was a little hint to Namor. What better way to do it than have the King of Atlantis versus the King of Wakanda? Yeah, it sounds that's uh, that sounds the mo- like the most interesting thing to me. Just trying to imagine how that's gonna be be, um, be on the screen, you know? Uh, yeah. With water element and Wakanda and all, you know. We'll see how that, all that goes. Uh, Galactus, I guess that's probably gonna show up in Guardians Three, I guess, huh? or maybe Thor Four. I think they would start to lay the seeds. I don't know. I don't. I don't think uh, they lay Maybe Doctor the- Strange. See, I was about to say Doctor Strange, but I don't think they lay the seeds for any of for Galactus until Fantastic Four, or or like you said, maybe Guardians Three. Yeah. Well, well, we have Eternals coming, and that could oh, also lay the yeah, yeah 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 that could also lay the seeds for Galactus as well. But, yeah, but I think it. I think that'll be the first like seed, and I think we're gonna pour water on it in Guardians, pour water on it in Fantastic Four, and then like watch it grow. In the in him becoming the main villain because there it, now that you have him back, I get people want the Doctor Doom main villain and and we're the people that say we want the Avengers to have a earthly based villain but we know that they have this cosmic stuff and now you have you had Thanos which is pretty much the dark side copy but Marvel has their own original uh like main villain who DC copied which is Galactus and Galactus is the man. We'll get Silver Surfer, but some people are thinking Tyrant will be his first herald. Basically, Galactus has a, a soldier who always fights for him, which is normally Silver Surfer. But some people think Tyrant's going to be his first herald. That when we first meet him, that's who's going to be fighting for him. Yeah, I'm. I'm and yeah, we'll see how how all that goes. I don't really know too much about all this Marvel stuff. Well, uh, let's talk to some about you. Do know how do you feel about the Falcon Winter Soldier stuff? Um. I honestly hope that it's more they are skeptical and more and less of they outright don't want him to be. Yeah. Uh, like I hope I, he's skeptical I, and he has to prove himself. Exactly. I'd rather that be the case because like, like that just doesn't really sound like the story I want. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think that he definitely does need to prove himself. Like yeah, I don't want it to. to. I don't want it to be seeming like a negative, but like uh, you have to expect that he's going to have to grow into the mantle. So and like and I, me and my know. dad were talking about this off air. Like my dad asked me, "Do you think he's going to get the super soldier serum?" And I was like, "I don't think so. I think he's going to just. I think he's just going to keep his falcon suit. Maybe get some enhancements and and then get the shield." Like my dad was like, "I hope he becomes a super soldier." So that's something we got to see. Will will they make him a super soldier? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. think so. I, yeah. I, I don't I don't know what it says in the in the lore either, but uh, that'd be interesting. A, in the lore, when he becomes Captain America, I believe he just has an enhanced Falcon suit. But see, there's no Tony Stark in the world to make him an enhanced Falcon suit. So how does that happen? You know, does he go to Wakanda to Shuri because he could get a Black Panther as Captain America suit, which would be dope. No, that, that could possibly happen. That'd be a good way to. Give you a little Wakanda tease and exactly. Oh, and, and look, Bucky's bro. We got Bucky's the White Wolf. He's there. Falcon yeah. goes there and and he's like, Shuri, I need you to 
upgrade this Falcon suit and make it better. She's like, upgrade. I'm going to give you a new one. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Be so, yeah, I guess that's going to explain that. Because I, I, I feel like him having to take the serum wouldn't really be him, you know? It wouldn't, and that's what I'm saying. Give him an upgraded uh, red, white, and blue falcon suit with, like, an energy shield that comes out of his arm or something. Yeah, something like that, because he does need to get a little bit more power, because that was something I was thinking about. I was like, dude, this guy is not as strong as Captain America. Captain America had, like, super strength. And then think if he has a vibranium uh, suit, then, like, he instantly becomes stronger, and he's bulletproof. For so, sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I mean, he's going to need something to take on Baron Zemo. So we're, we're ready for this thing, man. Yeah, no, we are. This is my most anticipated Phase 4 Marvel thing. I like Fa- Falcon Winter yep. Soldier is my, is my sh- thing I'm ready for. That's like next summer, huh? Uh, the fall 2020. Ugh. Yeah, we got a long way to go. This time next year, and we, this time next year, and we're still going to be like two months out. Yikes. Yeah, I know. But the final bit of news I have is Endgame passes Avatar as the highest-grossing film of all time, as well as Marvel with, just at this point now with Lion King, they have eclipsed $7 billion. In the, Disney this, has? Disney has, yeah. Disney has eclipsed, including the Marvel movies, uh, Toy Story, Lion King as well, and Aladdin. With all these movies from the first quarter, or first two quarters, They've made over seven point six billion dollars. So good for Disney. Yeah, that's crazy. That's absolutely insane. I mean, let's jump into the box office right now. There's four Disney properties in here. Mm -hmm. Or no, three. That's it depends on what you want to count with Spider Man. Oh no, Spider Man counts. All right, but yeah, so number five is Aladdin, number four is Toy Story Four, number three is Spider Man Far From Home. Number two is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Number one is Lion King. So does it say anything about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood about the you know, the, there's always the clamor that people are saying, oh, we want more original content, original films. Yeah. You know, and, and this is a, a Tarantino movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie, and it couldn't be number it couldn't get a number one weekend slot. Well, look, Schubert, I'll say this. It is R-rated. And Lion King being the only kid movie out, I understand why it's number one. The only kid movie out? Toy Story and Aladdin? Bro, but you know what I mean. Like, Toy Story and Aladdin have been out for a while. I know a lot of kids who were just seeing The Lion King for the first time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's like, I get, I I think your argument would be more valid if Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was like third or fourth or fifth. But it being second shows that, you know, People are going out there to see original content. Or at least they want to. For sure. Yeah. But that's the box office, man. That's the box office. Yeah, I'm ready to, to start talking about these pretty soon, but let's do the movies on the rise first. Well, mine's the boys. So Yours is the boys, talk. okay. Mine is the boys. We will talk about that in a little bit. Uh, well, I just went with a random here. Uh, I was just sitting at home last weekend and I wanted to watch something stupid, so I watched that show Flinch on Netflix, and it was hilarious. It may not be for everybody, but like I really find it funny when they, you know, stick a bunch of chickens in people's face, and then if they flinch, what? you get hit with a cattle drive. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna actually check that out. That sounds pretty. Yeah, it's it's like <laughs> British Fear Factor, in my opinion. It's crazy. All right, I'm gonna peep game, see what's up with the perverts and their humor. <laughs> yeah, dude, there's there's a couple funny, really funny episodes. 
For real. Well, yeah. that's what's up. All right, go go through Stranger Things real quick. Say what you got to say. Okay, well, Stranger Things, it was phenomenal. Probably the best it's been. You know, I always feel like Stranger Things does, each season does like a different style 80s movie. And it all depends on their ages, too. So obviously this one was way more teen-oriented, had a lot to do with relationships, but also not so much. I really think that the best arc in this show uh, was Steve and Dustin. The you know I'm gonna do spoilers here because it's been a, about a month now that you know when they go and find the Russian base you know with Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke's daughter Maya Hawke who plays Robin and then um, Lucas's little sister I don't remember her name but that's the four that goes into the the Russian base that was the best some of the best stuff I thought that Steve. And Robin and their dynamic was one of the best of the whole the whole series. Like I found myself more interested in their arc as well as the adult arc with Hopper and Joyce and the Russian guy and the creepy guy. Alexi. And uh, well, Alexi's the Russian guy. Okay. Yeah, and uh, and so I didn't really find myself wanting to follow the arc of the main kids as much just because I guess it was so, so wound up with the Mike and 11 stuff from time to time. And, uh, and yeah, there's just so many good moments and it's hard because I don't have anyone to work off of hearing and go through yeah, it all. I'm sorry, man. Cause I don't watch straight. That's not my shit, <laughs> but it was a really great season. And you know, I'm sure everyone's watched it by now. So if you want to talk about stranger things, tweet at me. One hundred percent. Stranger Things community, he have my boy shoes because he's jonesing to talk about it with somebody. But let's get into it, baby. I binged it all the night it came out. Schubert went on a date, and I watched the whole season. I'm talking about the boys. I and it already has a season two confirmed, and boy does it need one because this show is a smash hit. Amazon. Kudos. Amazon gets a round of applause, and I pray, Amazon, that you are listening right now. Jeff Bezos, if you're listening, please go buy 100 Bullets, the content, the IP, and make it into a TV show, because that's the future of what Netflix and Amazon should do. Take indie comics and turn them into TV series, because this was freaking phenomenal. Schubert, I know you didn't finish it all. We won't go into spoilers, but give, let's get quick thoughts before we start discussing. Well, I did get to see the first couple episodes, and it starts off really strong. You know, really uh, in the first twenty minutes, makes you invested in the story. Yeah. Um, and just as the deeper you go, the more and more you start to find that the heroes aren't the heroes that you've always expected them to be. So it's definitely a different sort of superhero tale where I you, know, you really was, love to hate them. I guess. Yeah, I loved how it was a commentary on, like you said. We're examining the idea of what it means to be a superhero, and we're flipping it on its head. We're examining the idea of marketing and, and, and consumer culture and how the dollar really controls how society feels and how entertainment is controlling how society feels. And also, the, a little bit of the business of war. That, too. And we're exactly, definitely the business of war. That's towards the end, especially. And we're fusing the, the idea of our 
entertainment in the way we view celebrities in the entertainment business with superheroes, with boy industries or Vaughn industries. And you're telling me a private sector controls where to send, uh, where to send heroes and, and where to send, like heroes don't just decide on their own. This company sends them there and they, and they fight crime at, because this company is getting paid. Like, this company is behind superhero movies. The superheroes that we have in real life are in the movies. They're in advertisement. Like, for example, one thing in the movie, the Baltimore, uh, speaking of Baltimore with the wire shows how bad crime is, but the Baltimore mayor <laughs> goes and sits with the Vaughn Industries lady and he's like, I'm, I need a new superhero for my, my city. And she's like, well, two, 300 million and I'll send you Nubian Prince. And it's like, they treat these superheroes like it's the NBA, but it's fusing the way we look at the entertainment industry with superheroes. It's absolutely insane. And speaking on Carl Urban, bravo, man. Like, you as Billy Butcher, that was a role that I absolutely loved. And that's why later on in Pitch It, I pitch him to be somebody that later on, just a little spoiler alert. But no, man, this show was phenomenal. Basically, for those out there, if you haven't watched it, I'm, we're not spoiling anything because Schubert hasn't finished, but for you to be want to go watch it, this guy named Huey loses his girlfriend due to a, a, a quote-unquote, air quote, accident with a superhero, and, he, and she dies. The superhero doesn't take responsibility for it. Huey is then approached by Carl Urban's character, Billy the Butcher, and he's like, he's part of this organization called The Boys, who basically check superheroes and make sure they keep them in line when they do evil deeds and it's Billy recruits Huey to join the boys and, and get revenge on A-Train the superhero each superhero in the boys represent one a superhero from or well takes inspiration from a superhero from either Marvel or DC A-Train is the Flash let's call a spade a spade it's pretty much more DC well Nubian Prince is Black Panther that's uh, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, so... I mean, and, okay, well, you're right. It's mostly talking about, DC. Yeah. Talking about the seven. The se Okay, so in the seven, you have A-Train, who is the Flash. You have the Deep, which is straight-up Aquaman. You got... Uh, what's his name? Night Hour or Midnight? What's his name? Uh, no. Uh, what the hell is his name? Is it... It's Shadow Darkness or... It's something. Something. Yeah. Something, something, but he something. pretty much looks like a ninja. Yeah, he, he's pretty much Snake Eyes mixed with Batman. Yeah. And then you have uh I I'm I'm about to pull up all their, oh, their man. names. Oh man, the invisible guy. Yeah, you have a uh, translucent. Translucent, yeah. And he's pretty like you said, he's pretty much just the uh just the uh, uh invisible guy. He kind of he actually is the most Marvel-esque uh I of guess Marvel-esque hero of the 7 because he's a fusion of Sue Storm taking her invisibility and Emma and Emma Frost with his diamond skin. So mm -hmm. that, so that's pretty much uh the Marvels. Oh, it's Black Noir and Black Noir is pretty Black much Noir. He's Batman mixed with uh mixed with uh Frick, what's it, what's his name? Snake Eyes. And then you have Queen Maeve who's the Empress of the Otherworld and she's pretty much Wonder Woman. You have Homelander who is Superman but with Captain America-esque features in terms of like his costume and, and his white and his blonde hair, blue eyes. He's pretty much Captain America and Superman com combined, but mostly Superman. And then you have Starlight, who is the, uh, the quote-unquote Supergirl of the universe. So that's the seven. The boys team includes Huey, uh, Billy Butcher, Mother's Milk, and Frenchie. None of them have powers, but they all are 
are, are humans who specialize in different things. Huey's really good with tech. Billy Butcher's the leader. Mother, Mother's Milk has all kind of uh, information data, like guys he can talk to to get information to scoop. And Frenchie's the uh, weapons guy. I'm not going to, and for those who have seen the show, there's another person that comes in the show, but I'm not going to spoil any of that. But let me say Karen, Karen Fukuhara from Suicide Squad does a damn good job. And I would say The Boys, as of now, is my favorite new TV show of 2019, as of today. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can't wait to see the rest of it, you know. Uh, still, yeah. even the the two episodes that I have, it's not like I definitely, it's not like I didn't get hooked, you know. No, I know. Uh, you Literally, it's just because I watched it all that night, and you, saw, you, yeah. you were on two dates, and we had things we had to do. So, but no, next week, Schubert, make sure you finish so we can do a spoiler review. Yeah, I'll definitely try and get through it. I'll, I'm probably going to watch it as soon as we're done. Word up. Well, let's get into the main review. I, oh, and I'd rank the boys a solid 8.8 .8 out of 10. Oh, man, they're 9. Well, eh, eight You said point, it was the best of the year. All right, I'm giving it a 9, then. It, it's the best of the year so far. The I see now it's eight nine because there's certain things that I wish it did and it would have been a bad it would have been a ten but I think they're saving that for season two, so that, that that's my thing is more so because I after watching it I would read the comics like I always do and I and I and I see where they're going and it's like damn I wish they would have included one more thing in the season if they would have it would have been a nine or a ten. Oh, for real? Damn. Yeah, but no, but but don't let that don't let that distract. That's just because I wanted something from the comics. But the yeah. show that they presented was freaking amazing. Yeah, you're right. It's a nine. It's a solid nine. It's not All a ten, right. but it's a nine. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, let's, so, yeah, let's, let's talk into, about Once yeah. Upon a Time in Hollywood. How did you feel about it? Uh, well, I saw it really late. So I didn't like get out of it until like after midnight. So, oh, I, so my initial thought when the movie was over was, dang, that was like long. Oh, you should you should have went see that during the day. Yeah, that's a that's a during the day movie. I saw that at like four. Yeah, so I was pretty I was pretty tired at the end of it, but of course the ending is just so amazing that I was pretty hyped at the end of it. I I kind of didn't want it to end where it ended. It's a um, very deliberately paced movie. Like, yes, it is, it's slow. It's one of those things where I feel like after I've sat back and thought about it. And then, like, conversed about what what I saw and what other people saw. I started to find that it was much better than I that originally thought. Same, 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 same. Uh, but I will say, for the people saying this is Quentin Tarantino's best movie, they're smoking good crack. Like, <laughs> no, it's like, not his best movie. But it I mean, is. It is not his best movie. But it, it's it's I not a bad I, movie. Yeah, I think it's you know. In the uh, middle. Strong, a strong one for him. I, you know, I guess I'm not going to put it in the top three, but like, you know, it could, it's in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, but okay. So let's let's go into the movie. Pretty much, the movie is we we're following Brad Pitt and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's made up character Rick Dalton, who's an actor played by Leo. And what's Brad Pitt's name? I I, I forget his name in the movie, but he's his Cliff, stunt. Cliff. Oh yeah, Cliff. Cliff Booth. Cliff Booth. So we're following. Rick Dalton, the actor, and Cliff Booth, the stuntman, and it's their two's journey through Hollywood, and we're seeing them, basically, Rick Dalton is getting old, and he's he's continuously getting the shit into the stick into his movies, and we're seeing him go through a rut. Cliff Booth is 
going through a rut in himself. He's not getting too much stunt work. He's pretty much... Yeah, because people think that he murdered his wife. Yeah. <laughs> which, which we don't really know if he, he did or not, but it, so it definitely we don't, seemed like he did. It definitely seemed like he did. This movie, there's not too much of a linear structure because it's just... It shows different things that Rick and Cliff have done throughout time. We've seen a lot of... We get a lot of flashbacks. We get a lot of just moments with them. I think what we can talk about in terms of story is the chemistry between Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio was freaking amazing. And I absolutely loved it. And I wish they would be in more movies together. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this is like what the first thing we've ever seen them in together, huh? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like this is kind of like one of those pitch it questions, you know, like what, what two actors would you want to pair together into a movie? Like, I feel like a lot of people would be like, Oh, well you got to have Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. Like that would be amazing. And it was yeah. like the them as them together was strong, but a big part of that movie was not just the, their chemistry, but also their unique and different storylines. I thought that Leo definitely touched on a lot of really oh, important the dramatic themes. Huh? My bad. They were in the audition together. The movie called The Audition. Okay. D- directed by Martin Scorsese. I need to watch this. It's a short film though. It's not a real like feature length. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so, you know, Rick is going on his own deal, and then Cliff goes on his own little side adventure where we, you know, get to go to that ranch and and yeah. a, lot of different, a lot of different things there. But so I, I felt like each person's story, even Sharon Tate's, all kind of culminated into something. Can I be honest? Yeah. About Margot Robbie? Um, it didn't really, like, I know that, it, she was Sharon Tate, and, and like in terms of screen time, she was on the screen a lot. But in terms of talking, mm. she didn't. I didn't feel like she was integral to the movie. I felt like she was integral due to the fact of the ending, like due to the fact of like the situation of at the, the end, yeah, yeah. Because of this story is Quentin Tarantino taking a real life event and ter- making his own spin on it, i.e., Inglorious Bastards. So it, yeah. this was his take on the Sharon Tate, quote unquote. Charlie Manson murders, but he did it to tell, he did it through Rick Dalton and Brad Pitt telling a story about old-timey Hollywood. It was more commentary on old-timey Hollywood than it was the Charlie Manson murder. Well, it, yeah, like, it was, because we thought it, it was going to be something totally different when we, before we going into this movie. Well, yeah, it was, everyone kind of thought it was going to be about the Sharon Tate murders, and in a way it was. It was kind of like, you know, how in Inglorious Bastards we see something historical, but not really because it's fictional. Yeah. yeah. This was kind of the same deal where it was like, okay, we're in the same old Hollywood world, but if we, but like, let's say that in this old Hollywood world, this guy and this stunt man are somehow in the vicinity and they, you know, they, they, killed the Man- they, they killed the Manson people. And so now the Manson people don't want to mess with Sharon Tate, but, and this Actor Rick Dalton, who was washed up, well, now he has a chance to be in a Roman Polanski movie. Yeah. So maybe he's going to be a big star. So. <laughs> no, and this was, uh, this t- it's, it's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because it it's is a fairy, a fairy, yeah, it's a fairy tale in Hollywood. In so La La Land. As, as I talk, like, like you said at, before, as I discuss more through the movie, I like it more than I did. Uh, than I originally thought I did. It wasn't a bad movie, but there was just some like the Rick Dalton. It was a it, it, was it was a lot slow. to take in because it was shot very interestingly, and then you do yeah. cut from person to person, and like 
It, it kind of throws you off at first. I don't and, know. And my thing is the Sharon Tate stuff. If it would have been more Rick Dalton and uh, and Leo the whole time and actiony and just their chemistry, I, I don't might have got down with that more because I felt like when it would cut to Sharon Tate, she wouldn't speak. So it was like, why am I cutting to this? Like I get, I get you telling the story of the Sharon Tate thing, but you're just cutting to this. I don't, I don't get why you're cutting to this. You're just cutting to it to cut to it. I just wanted to watch her dance, man. And, and have her feet on the film. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, if you didn't know, Quentin Tarantino has a foot fetish. Like, so many women's feet in that movie the whole time. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. I guess uh, what Pussycat also put her feet up, huh? Bro, all of them did. Every woman except Lena Dunham. <laughs> Yo, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But no, okay, so another part of this movie is the Bruce Lee uh, feature. Oh, uh, yeah, a lot of people are in outrage about that. His daughter said that she just didn't like the portrayal of it, but I didn't think, and I guess that's his, his daughter is the, the, the say-so because that's her, that's her dad. And But in terms of me... I didn't think it was as bad as people are saying. I thought it was just, I thought it was just Bruce Lee. Like I thought it was just, I thought it, it fit well with the story. And like people were upset that that uh, Cliff Booth beat him, which I mean, yeah, like okay, but well, like the, I, well, the whole imagining of this is that Cliff Booth is a badass war hero. Ex- exactly, and it was showing that maybe people didn't like that. It was saying that uh, that uh, Bruce Lee was arrogant and maybe he was more talk than he was walk. I, I can see that, but in terms of like the appearance in it, I loved it. And all what was another thing that was real dope in this movie? I loved the western stuff with Rick Dalton, him having. Did you know acting. that the um uh, a lot of the I, I won't I won't say a lot of it, but some of the western film shots were on the set of the Django. Oh, oh I didn't realize that. Yeah, that's like the, the scene where Django and um, Christoph Waltz go into the saloon, like that place was primarily that is a lot that. of. Yeah, you're right. And also, mm-hmm. did, you, did you did you catch the Inglorious Bastards tie-in where he was with the flamethrower and the IPs and the Nazis? Oh, there there's a good bit of stuff like you know the the 14 Fisk is up McCluskey. I think you're talking about the 14 Fisk yeah. McCluskey, the movie that he was in where he burns down the Nazis. Yep. Um, and then, and when he's, uh, when he's in Italy, the, uh, one of, one of the uh, directors and one of the posters is Antonio Margariti, which is what one of the characters in Glory of his Bastards introduces himself as, if you remember, he's oh, like, yeah. Antonio Margariti. You're, you're right. He did. He definitely had a lot of Easter eggs to, uh, his other movies. Also, what else in this movie that I wanted to mention about that was that was super dope before we talk about the ending? I'm trying to think of all the stuff that happened before the ending that was dope. Uh, Leo's acting, I thought, was great. His stutter, his, the way he just did oh, Rick yeah. Dalton and saying how he was a failed actor. Like, the, him playing a failed actor was so good that it was like, damn, I believe this. Like, Leo had me believing that he was not a good actor by, by him portraying not a good actor, but in turn... That was amazing acting. Well, then he was still a good actor, though. He had, like, good yeah, scenes. Yeah, no, no, for and, sure. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm saying him playing Rick Dalton, who Rick Dalton was supposed to be a bad actor, quote-unquote, I thought yeah. Leo killed it is that. Well, I, what I'm saying is I don't feel like Rick Dalton was a bad actor, quote-unquote. I feel like oh, he was, okay. like, a good actor who was having, like, some rough patches. Because, like, he did have some scenes as Rick Dalton that were, like, solid. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he definitely did. 
When so, he was talking to Timothy uh, Oliphant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that stuff any, was cool. Anything else we want to... Oh, let's talk about uh, Cliff Booth going into the to the Marilyn Manson so we could tie it up at the end. Uh, the the, the uh, Not Marilyn Manson. The, the, what's, what's his fucking name? Charles, Charles Manson. Yeah, with Charlie Manson going to his uh, ranch with uh, your boy who's playing Elvis. Uh, Austin Butler. How, how'd you like Austin Butler? I thought he acted... He was good. Yeah, I, I I was like, yo, maybe this kid can act. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't think I was as high on it as everyone else was. I I don't know. I thought his. I don't really know why everyone's like freaking out about his character. Like his character was good. Yeah, I I don't think it was like the best thing ever, but I thought he did a good job. Yeah, I thought as, it was. I thought it was well done. I, I they had a a really interesting cast of characters in that range, man. If you. If you know uh, some some names in Hollywood, like they had, yeah, you had uh, Lena Dunham. They had Harley they had Quinn Dakota Smith. Fanning. Yeah, they had yeah, Dakota Harley Fanning. Quinn Smith. Like they had a bunch of actors in there, and then the girl who played Pussycat. I'm pretty sure she's a uh, she's pretty famous. I've seen her before somewhere. She's the daughter of Andy McDowell. Exactly. A, another, uh, and then uh, Bruce Willis's daughter, Rumor Willis, was also in the movie, but I don't think she was Real. on the ranch. Okay, but in, okay, so. At the ranch, we see Cliff Booth stop. Oh, there and then of course, my, uh, what's her name? The chick from Stranger Things was in it too. Yeah, yeah. So we see Cliff Booth drop off uh, this girl Pussyfoot to her home, and her home is the Charles Manson ranch. He gets there, and he's like, "I, I didn't. I, at first, did you think Brad Pitt was gonna try to bang her? What Pussycat? Yeah. 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 I, th- I, I was just like, ooh. I didn't think I- she was under eighteen. Okay, okay. That's what that. Some people in my theater were like, is she, "How old is she?" And I was like, I'm pretty sure she's 18, man. <laughs> he, he was like, oh, okay, okay, for sure. Well, he gets to the mansion. He's in, and he, well, not the mansion, the ranch. And he's looking around, and things are a little weird. Everybody's walking up to him. Lena Dunham and everything. Text checks him out. And, he, and everybody's like, all right, so what's up? Are you hanging out with us? He's like, where's the owner of this ranch? And then they, they're trying to, you know, push it aside. And he's like, I'm going up in that house, and I'm going to talk to the owner of the ranch. The woman in there is like, no, nah, you're not trying to talk to nobody. And he, and he bum rushes his way into the into the uh, house, he sees the uh, owner of the ranch. He's blind, so he can't see Brad Pitt, and he doesn't remember Brad Pitt. He has some amnesia. I feel like they got over on that old man. I don't know about you, Shuby. That's real. Uh, yeah, I feel like they did something to that. Well, dude. that's real life. Oh, for real? Yeah, that was that actual person was the only well, not the actual person who was in the movie, but that was a real life person who was, I guess, taken advantage of by. Because he was old and senile and was yeah. taken advantage of by that group. That's a real historical thing. Damn. So that happened in the movie. As Brad Pitt's leaving from talking to that dude, they, they slash his tires. And yeah. Brad Pitt whoops that dude's ass who slashed his tires. And everybody there's like, leave, you pig. Ah, you're a madman. Like, you don't want to, you don't love, you don't love peace and love the hippie way. Fuck you, Brad Pitt. And Brad Pitt's like, y'all come, y'all come fight me then. Come fight me. And they called Tex like Tex was Tex was a got his ass whooped there. Cause he thought he got his ass whooped later in the film when Brad Pitt was off acid. He'd have got his <laughs> ass whooped when Brad Pitt was sober. <laughs> but that that's the introduction to the Charlie Manson ranch, and that's how we get the connection to later on in the film. Uh yeah, the, the only the only scene with Manson, he kind of was checking out Roman Polanski's house, I guess. Yeah, like, I feel he was. I feel like that was like an allusion to or, what was gonna know, happen alluded to what was going to happen near the end why why they were in that neighborhood is what yep. we know. that's and why i think because, that's why i think it had the connections to the Sharon Tate murders was like that was going to be the group that was going to go do it 
Yeah, but, and it was in a it, it would have been their house, but they they went to the wrong house. Yeah. And then that's the thing. That's what made the history different. They went to the wrong house and then and so they get to the house and well they're they're in the they're actually looking for the house and Leo comes out. Leo's like, "Turn that fucking car off. Get out of my neighborhood because it's making too much noise. I'm trying to drink with my homie. He's about to we're not about to be friends anymore because I got to hang out with my girl and I can't afford him no more. So y'all got to get out of here so I can enjoy one last hoorah." So they leave, and then Leo's getting drunk, making margaritas. Brad Pitt smokes his acid-laced cigarette and walking his dog, and, and Leo's Italian wife's asleep in the room. So while Leo's in the pool drinking margarita with his headphones on, Tex, who's played by Austin Butler, and these two girls from the Manson Ranch walk up, and they're like, they're, they're discussing, they're like, man, was that Rick Dalton? And they're talking about, they're like, we need to kill Rick Dalton. Yeah, guys, teach him a lesson. He was being a, an asshole. I really like the little uh, Asian girl. If she, I, I don't know if she was Asian or not, but the the the, the brown haired girl, not the ginger. Yeah, she was really good. So what they were they, saying was it was a uh, it was like we've yeah like TV is what taught us to kill. They yeah. like raise raise up a culture of children to kill. So we well, have to just do what yeah. TV taught us to do. And let's show let's show these chauvinist pigs what they taught us. <laughs> so, so, so they're walking up the street. They go to, they go knock on the door. They bust in, and they're, they're causing. I, I don't know if Brad Pitt's in there when they bust in. Is he? Yeah, he's yeah, in he's there. feeding the dog. Yeah, he's feeding the dog. Okay, so they bust in. Brad Pitt, they feed the dog. He texts Brad Pitt. Now Brad Pitt's like, yeah, it's like, is this real? <laughs> yeah, Brad, because he's tripping on acid. They point the gun at him. He's like, oh yeah, this is real. I'm the devil. And Brad Pitt's like, oh all right. And he, he goes. He snaps his finger. That dog rushed, and it's a big. What kind of dog was that? Shoot, a boxer. It looked like a pit bull. A pit. It was either a boxer or a pit bull. Or a mix. That dog. Or a mix. Yeah, that dog is huge, as big as like a table. Runs over and starts gnawing on Austin Butler's leg. I mean, gnawing like on his balls, on his chest. The gun falls. Brad Pitt then. And this is how I was like, whoa, this is what like woke me up in the movie when this this scene right here, when Terrence Steele lets Brad Pitt takes the ginger's head and starts smashing it into the bookcase. I mean the one of the most <laughs> violent things I've ever seen. And I was like, oh my gosh, let's go. That redhead just dies instantly. Well, it well, she she gets knocked out. The Italian woman comes kick her on the no, head. I thought, I think, no, I think she died. Oh yeah, she might have died. Well, I thought the yeah. Italian woman whoops her ass before before uh because the tiny woman punches somebody, but maybe it's the little girl. Who knows? And then after the dog bum rushes uh, Austin Butler, he bum rushes the, the brunette, and the brunette's getting all bit up, chewed up, and Brad Pitt goes to whoop up on Austin Butler. As she's getting bit up, she's shooting the gun in the air. He gets the dog off her. She's falling into the back room. She falls in the pool, and Leo's like, what the hell is going on in here? He sees her. Yeah, and she fell in the pool. She still can't see because blood's all in her eyes. She's falling in the pool. Leo's like, She's fuck screaming. this. She's screaming. Yeah, Leo's like, fuck this. He goes to get his flamethrower from that earlier movie where he's burning Nazis and he straight up burns this girl to death. <laughs> and then everybody dies. Leo and, and Brad Pitt whoop their asses. The police come and Brad and Leo's like, I don't know what the hell these damn hippies are doing. And he just came busting my house. We had to kill him. And then Sharon Tate's uh, boyfriend walks down the street and is like, yo, what happened? And Leo explains, and they invite him up, and like Schubert said, Leo might be in a Roman Polanski movie now. Or yeah, he might be Dalton. a big star. But Rick, that's Rick in, Dalton, yeah. That's then in the Cliff movie. Cliff can be reunited. Yep, and, and that's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Schubert, what would you rate this movie 
One through five. One through five? All right, one through ten. Yeah, I was like, when, when do we go to the one through five scale? Yeah, one through ten. My bad, my bad. <laughs> okay. That's uh, an anime talk scale. Uh, I'd say probably eight one. Eight one? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'd give it a solid eight. Like wasn't the wasn't the worst Tarantino movie, wasn't the best, but it was it was good. It's pretty solid. And I feel like it's gonna be really interesting to have rewatch. As, a, as as a rewatch and also a video to have at home. Like, yeah. I feel like it's something that you could watch bits and pieces of. And then after after I watched it, I went to go research more into the Sharon Tate stuff and stuff in that time, and I was like, "Whoa, this movie makes a lot more sense now." Because I would yeah. say, if you know, if you know more about about old Hollywood and the Sharon Tate murders, then that movie would make a lot more sense to you than it did when I walked in. Well, and you'd appreciate it because they do stay true to a lot of it. Like I said, with the ranch, you know, they they yeah, see that stuff pretty, I didn't know. Yeah, uh, then, yeah, a lot of this the stuff is really realistic. You know, the song that the girls are singing at the beginning—that's a Charlie Manson. So you know, see, song. I didn't know that. And see, and he, that's yeah, because he was trying to be a recording artist before he was a murderer. Real, see, and if I would have known, that's what I'm saying. You can go into this movie not knowing anything and still appreciate it. But the more you know, the better the movie will be for you, because he really stayed true to history until the end. Pretty much, and that's you know very similar to the Inglorious Bastards thing. So it's one of these things where you know you got to kind of suspend that reality. That just, I think that was something. Yeah, and I think that was something that may have caught me off guard in the beginning, which I shouldn't. It shouldn't have, but like I think that was part of the reason. Like I was so, like I, feel, I felt like if I came out of the movie, I was more gonna put it like seven ish. Same. I thought I was gonna put it like at like seven five seven. I thought I was gonna put yeah like seven. Maybe I was like, six eh. five. I was like, this was long. Like yeah. it was all over the place, but not like in a unorganized way. Just. Like I just felt like we were moving around too much, but it, it all made sense in the end. I want to ask you before we finish up: if we're hearing that his next film, his tenth film, it's been said long for for a while that that would be his final film, retiring. We've heard about Star Trek, and we've heard about recently him and Uma Thurman have been talking about doing another Kill Bill Volume Three. If you had the choice for Quentin Tarantino's final movie, do you want Kill Bill Volume Three or do you want his Star Trek? I want to see the Star Trek thing. See, I disagree. Oh, man, that's where we disagree. I want Kill Bill Volume 3. As much as the Star Trek sounds cool, I don't think he Paramount will let him make an R-rated Star Trek film. Whereas Kill Bill Volume 3, if, the sto- if, if, if Uma Thurman believes the story's right and they finish off that story, because there was need for a third one. Yeah. It's a, it's it's going to be a big jump, and I feel like it's all going to be about. It's going to end up being Uma Thurman's daughter's movie because it's going to be like, yeah, let's just like have a, have another Kill Bill, and I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> Hell no, you know you know Tarantino's not like that. He's going he, he's one that his sequels if he because he's only made like one, which is Kill Bill Volume Two. His sequels tell specific stories. I don't think he bought that franchise stuff. We're talking about Tarantino. I, I agree with you, Shubert. If that was like Warner Brothers or like but someone I don't, else, I don't, I don't, I don't buy this ten movie thing. Oh, you don't think that's going to be a thing? No, I don't buy it. Like I feel like you know, and you know, the, also the thing about, about Tarantino is that he has been a part of a lot of movies, just necessarily not the director. So you know, I feel like 
maybe the Kill Bill three could be his last director movie, but I feel like he still could be in, Producer, involved writer. in a Star Trek thing, you know? All right, all right. Because I mean, he was like involved in From Dust Till Dawn. That is one of his bigger credit things on his IMDb page. Like he's he doesn't. Do, I thought he directed that. No, he didn't direct that. Did uh, Robert Rodriguez direct that? Because uh, I thought, hold on, I'm about to tell you, I'm on his IMDb page right now, director, let's see. All right, he's directed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Hateful Eight. Yeah, it was Robert Rodriguez. Kill Bill and Glorious. He's, oh, he directed Death Proof. Uh, he directed some CSI episodes. He directed ER, ER uh, Jimmy <laughs> Kimmel, Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2, Jackie Brown, Four Rooms, this, uh, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, and My Best Friend's Birthday. Okay, cool, cool. Well, yeah, he didn't direct From Dust Till Dawn. He produced it. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Well, I mean, he was actually like a writer on From Dust Till Dawn, too. As well? Okay, cool, mm-hmm. cool. Well, then, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe maybe that that's what we see him do. Like, maybe Star he Trek. writes the Star Trek movie. You know? Yeah, mm-hmm. and someone else directs it. Yeah. Okay, I feel you on that. Well, Shuby, man, that's all I really got this week on for Bros Who Binge episode 50. Let's give them pitch it. It's time. Yeah, man. I'm really excited to finally bring this game and start the season. So, Linda, let's swing it over to you for and start up pitch it. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the pitch it season has officially begun. Yes, this is match one of pitch it. We're joined at the end of BWB. We're going to make these separate videos from now on, but the league is set. Schubert's here, and Charles is our host for this episode, of, for this uh, game of Pitch It, and he's the judge of this. We also have a side judge sitting back. How are you guys doing? Schubert, match one, me versus you. Are you ready yeah. for Pitch It? Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember that first one that we did. That was so long ago, and that was when Brooklyn was judging, and now we got Charles's perspective, which is completely different. Yeah, and now, so, that, now we're keeping records. Now it's real. Like everybody has a record, and we're gonna do best record. We're gonna do a playoff at the end of the season. We have other people that aren't on this network coming to compete. All I'm I, saying is, people really on can't. the network gotta win. That's all I'm saying. I really, I really can't wait. I'm excited to do this one. Uh, but what excites me more about this is being the judge because you know I created the questions, I created the idea. So like, I'm all into like finding out what other people have to say about things. Uh, because, you know, I'm not the best argue- guy to argue with, you know, like arguing wise. No, I, I feel- I, that's why Charles is always an intimidating match, because he can argue a brick wall. Like, true, he, true. He can make a brick. He can take a, tell a brick wall that he's a wood wall. And speaking of Charles, let's introduce our judge and, and question master of this this game. Charles Reese, man. How you doing, brother? What's up, guys? I knew y'all would throw me as the judge because honestly... I would win the first round no matter who I was playing, except for Lyndon. Lyndon can probably argue that a brick wall should be a flat pool of bricks and would probably win that argument. So, Yo, honestly, actually- that was that was going to be match one. Like, we Brooklyn's ass couldn't make it today. We were going to do you a, a double feature of Tr- Schubert versus Brooklyn, me versus Charles. But Charles escaped this one. So, you know, we gotta, we're got we going to do the host of bros who binge today and then we're going to bring in Charles versus Brooklyn. We're going to bring in a bunch of people and get our records. I'm excited that we're going to have a playoff at the end of the year. Hopefully you make that finals, Charles. Hopefully. I, I can't wait to see some of the people outside of the bros who binge world that we've talked to about playing, you know, step in the ring because it's cool to see other perspectives too, you know? 
Oh yeah, when Jake Madison or Schmidt or Noel oh, the guest away. Give the guest away. Give some. It's the fiftieth. It's the fiftieth episode of Bros. Binge. Got to give a little bit of something. But yeah, man, uh, Schubert, explain the rules to the people out there listening once again, just to refresh their minds. All right, so pitch it is pretty much a five round battle of who has the best pitch. Uh, we start with round one, which is a pitch that we've been told in advance that we've had a little bit of time to prepare for. And in that first round, we'll get uh, a opening two minutes to tell, pretty much describe our topic. And in this time, we're not going to, well, the person who goes first doesn't even know who the other, what the other person's saying. So we're not really attacking each other's topics. We're just laying out what we think that our pitch should be. Then the judge will get a chance to ask us any clarifications, and then we'll get another minute and a half to finish out our pitch and also to tear apart each other's pitch. And after that first round, we'll go into the second round where we will spin a wheel, get a category. We'll explain the categories when we get to round two. And um, then we'll each get a pitch until the first person wins three games. 100%. That's pitch it, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, Schubert, are you ready, brother? I'm ready. Good luck to you. I'm ready. Charles, Game Master, take it away. Well, very excited to be in this judging position for the first actual episode and first game of Pitch It. As the first one y'all may have heard was kind of a trial run. That was exciting, but this is even more exciting. So without further ado, the first question with Schubert going first as he won the coin match earlier is... The Joker and Venom are two supervillains who recently got their own movie. Pitch a standalone villain movie, and who would play that character? Schubert, your two minutes start now. All right. So, I the DC always has the best villains, but I couldn't go with a Batman villain, and I don't really know Superman's that well, and I'm going to choose one off the cuff here. Gorilla Grodd, played what? by Dave Bautista. <laughs> Lit. All right, so Gorilla Grodd, the way that he was kind of brought up in his origins is that he was given his powers by an alien, and then he creates a gorilla city in Africa. So what I want to focus this Gorilla Grodd movie on is all the things that happened before he even meets Barry Allen, which is getting this power, creating this gorilla city. There's got to be a little bit of conflict in the way that is. Eventually he learns how to manipulate animals, we learn all of that and figure out how Gorilla Grodd becomes Gorilla Grodd. And I think that you could do this pretty successfully in today's time with what we've seen in the CGI of Planet of the Apes. And I think he would have a similar look to that mo- to this film. And also the reason I chose Dave Bautista is because he's a menacing he's a menacing actor who really wants to break it to the next level. And I feel like this could be something that could really break it for him. But also Gorilla Grodd has got to be menacing as he is intelligent, and where Dave Bautista may not sound like he's going to be the most intelligent villain, he has shown chops in other movies that I believe would give him the credibility to be Gorilla Grodd, and that's it. All right, Interesting. That's it. Lyndon, are you ready to start your two minutes? Uh, yeah, let's, let's get it, man. All right, Lyndon, your two minutes start now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so you know I was going with DC, of course. And to me, 
to do a villain movie successfully, you have to have a villain that can stand on his own. One that transcends all heroes, but can go against any hero on any given day. I'm going with the villain that is most suited to take down every member of the Justice League because he has. I'm going with Slade Wilson, a.k.a. Deathstroke the Terminator. This movie will be very similar to John Wick. We meet our hero, Slade Wilson, who will be played by Carl Urban. If you've seen the boys, you know Carl Urban can pull off a good Slade. Carl Urban will be the guy that's playing off Deathstroke the Terminator. Yeah, we know we had Joe Manganiello cast before, but we have a new, new, a new Batman, so we have a new Deathstroke. New universe, clean Slade. So Slade will be going through, we'll see him start off his military career because people don't really know his background. We'll see him as a young man going through the military ranks. And then he ends up getting his experiment, becoming a super soldier, a, a lot Captain America, but he becomes an evil one. He ends up losing his eye and then he leaves the military and goes off on his own as a private con contractor. His first hire is from Lex Luthor, none other than Superman's villain himself. He's not asking him to go get the big boy blue. No, what he's asking him to do is to go steal kryptonite from Amanda Waller's secret organization, Argus, for Superman. This leads Deathstroke on an adventure of coming into Amanda Waller, the, some of the Suicide Squad, as well as Batman catching wind of it and alerting Superman. You see all the big baddies. You see Deathstroke go up toe-to-toe -to -toe against all these people. Will he accomplish his mission? Won't he? We will find out come Deathstroke the Terminator. That's all. That's all, Charles. Oof. Both of y'all did not use just full two minutes. It's uh, uh, interesting. Which is very interesting. I thought I was going to have to cut at least one of y'all off. Uh, I, I think it's pretty obvious, too. But uh, I, I think that both are interesting movies. I think Schubert really went off on a very unexpected uh, twist to his movie. Which, look, Schubert, I, I think you heard London's pitch. I would kind of like to hear uh, in 30 seconds how your movie storyline is going to go. Uh, what is going to be the beginning, and, and how is this movie going to to flow? I, I Like, what's the point of the movie? All right, well, usually what we've seen with the two example movies is that a villain story is usually kind of an origin. And so here we see the, the space rock flying into Africa and getting making these super intelligent gorillas and you see gorilla grad now having to build this society and become the leader of it and there's always dominance in gorilla society so there will be people who are going to stay clean but he finds a way to manipulate all gorillas so that's going to be part of uh i believe the alien's name is savatar savatone or something or something as the sort but there's an alien that he then goes and manipulates his mind and find and you know gets this power and then he will go and become the gorilla grad that he is by overcoming well you know becoming all powerful and this giant super massive gorilla with a super mind i mean i think that's really all i have what did i have 30 seconds yeah that was a little over 30 seconds but i was very intrigued to hear where you were going to go with that. Lyndon, your question and your rebuttal uh, is more of, in the end of your movie, how, how do you see this ending? Do you see Slade end up, you know, coming out, out on top in this movie? Or do you see him being defeated in the end? 
I see Slade being defeated in the end because the second movie, the 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 uh, sequel would be Ooh, Slade. It would, it would lead to a sequel because <laughs> it's a Slade universe. We see Slade escape from Blackgate Prison, which is located in Louisiana. It's the supermax for all the DC universe. It will be basically prison break with him having to fight all the DC villains. That's the sequel, though. But he ends up losing because he he has to learn that for him to complete the mission, he has to lose his... He has to find his sense of morality, whereas Batman's is, I don't kill. Slade has to find out what he means to, like, what's his morale mean to him and how can he lock it down? And he, and he finds that through loss. And in the second movie, we'll see the Slade that we know from the comics. This first movie is him figuring out who Deathstroke the Terminator is. Ooh, interesting points there, Lyndon. Uh, you have a sequel already. So I uh, hope your first movie does well because kind of hard to pull a sequel off if your first movie is a flop. But as we get into the final round, uh, it's more of a rebuttal to the other movie. Kind of your last minute, 30 seconds to convince me that your movie is going to make it. And your movie is the best idea. Because not only do I want to see a movie that has great original content, but I also want to see a movie that's going to do well in the box office. So, Schubert, since you won the coin flip, you will go first. All right. Is my time starting? And your time has started now. All right, so with Lyndon's pitch, I don't want to knock it too much because Death, Deathstroke is an, indeed a cool villain, but what my holes with his are, with his pitch here is that he's already pitching a sequel. You know, we if you're going to tell the story, tell the story. I mean, you're kind of giving yourself a little bit too much credit that it's going to make it to where it is because we already know that doing a villain movie on its own is pretty risky. So... Where I think my pitch is better here is I'm kind of completing the entire introduction story to a character that really doesn't need any more past that. And then we'll, we'll, we'll then get into his storyline within the entire universe of the DC. It also gives him brings him an opportunity to jump in to that world if they were going to do any kind of spinoff movies or sequels or anything like that. But I'm just focused on telling this one villain character story. And I wanted to do it in sort of this Clan of the Apes style film with obviously the same CGI, but really plays on the relationships between building this city and the conflicts that are going to come within that, but also having a gorilla who now be, has become intelligent and him having to come to terms with that and then getting even more power. So uh, I think a good villain story always kind of... All right, dang it. All right, London, uh, your minute, 30 seconds, is going to start in a second. Just remember, I'm looking for a movie with some original content. I'm looking for something that not only is original, but will do well in the box office and why. Your time starts now. Okay, first off, to rebuttal against what Schubert said, the only knock he had on my movie was the fact that I said I had a sequel. There's nothing wrong with that. Look at Marvel. Marvel plans movies phase after phase after phase. I'm just Kevin Feige of this shit, boys. I just like, just let me get my props off because I know what my movie is. Talk about box office success. Gorilla Grodd movie, first off, Charles, if you want a box office success, 
that's a villain that A, we don't know how he's tied to the DC universe, which DC characters are connected to him. B, normal, your everyday Joes won't know who Gorilla Grodd is. And when they see this, there's no humans in this movie. Why are people going to watch this? At least with Planet of the Apes, there's humans versus apes. This is just a gr talking gorilla. And Dave Bautista can't act for shit. I get he's trying to be The Rock right now, but he's not The Rock. Let him stay with Guardians because he can't act. In terms of my movie, box office success-wise, it's an original original story in the DC universe about the best assassin. We're seeing the best assassin become who he is, his his violence, his his aura. We're seeing him go through his training and get this job from Lex Luthor and, and become the assassin who can fulfill any task. And after this movie, he becomes Deathstroke the Terminator. And movie two is just him being the Terminator. This is, you get a, when Trooper said we don't get a complete movie from I know we do. He starts off as not the Terminator in this movie. He ends up being the Terminator at the end. A full completion for him. The next movie is just seeing him do that. But in this movie, we see him become Slade, get a mission from Lex Luthor. He goes on this mission to go Time. steal. So to pick a winner, it's hard to see because what I really wanted was original content. And where I got that was actually from Schubert. Now, there are holes in Schubert's story that rubs me wrong, as, as Lyndon did point out in his last rebuttal, was that, yeah, look, where are the humans? Who, who is he fighting at the end of the day? Where, where, where is this movie going? Uh, Lyndon did make a good point about, look, Marvel is putting out things, you know, five years down the road. Disney's doing the same thing. But have we seen a sequel to a villain movie yet? Now, Lyndon tried to say, you know, his movie was original, but I heard him go back to Terminator. I heard him go back to other villain movies. Wait, can I say something? His name is Deathstroke the Terminator. I wasn't, I wasn't referencing Terminator. Okay, well, well, yeah. well it's, it seemed that way. So, anyway... You did. You did mention other movies. I did. I did mention John Wick. I'll give you that. You did mention other movies, so it was kind of like well. And you did mention, you know, Captain America as well. So it's like we've seen this before. Are we just seeing another play on a movie we've seen already? So with that being said, although I like the ideas of both movies a lot, the movie I'm going to go see is actually surprisingly. After I made all those points. I'm going to go see Slade Wilson. Lyndon wins the first battle because, yes, he had more ideas and more of an intriguing movie at the end of the day. Oh, man. 100. When, I'm, I'm, I was surprised that that was surprising. When you said surprisingly, I was like, oh, man, did I win? Schubert, I was so <laughs> shocked. I was so shocked by the person you chose, man. I know. I thought you would be. That was That's so Because I, I was thinking when you were going to be the judge, I was going to find try and find a way to convince you. That was shocking. All right, let's let's get with the one zero. Let's get to round two, Charles. All right. So the way this round works, there's multiple topics. I pretty much get to decide which one I want to pick, and there are questions that go along with that. So since there are five rounds, we won't just do sports. We will do sports later. But first, we're going to go with a TV question. So with the TV question, since Lyndon won the first round, you get to decide. You want to go first or second? Uh. I'll go first. All right. So with our question for the first question for round two. Uh, yes, we're actually going to go with the sports topic. So let's go with pitch a real sports story that should be made into a film like Miracle or Glory Road. It could be any film that's already been made into a sports film. Or you could take a random ass sports event that has happened and make it into a sports film. Do whatever you want. 
So, okay. Are you ready, Lyndon? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. Your two minutes start now. Okay, so being that I'm from Louisiana, being that I, uh, certain certain things mean uh, a little more to Louisianians, I'm gonna stay home and pitch something that really uh, that really affects Louisianians. So I want to pitch the season after. Uh, Katrina, what the Saints did in their return after Katrina, and it will be kind of like a, a, a talk on how the city really uplifted, how the city really got uplifted after that horrible event due to the Saints. We're gonna have the block punt by, uh, we're gonna have the block punt in there. We're gonna have the Falcons game. That's gonna be the first game that it starts off with Steve Gleason blocking a punt. We're gonna show them how they win that game, and then we're gonna show having Sean Payton, Reggie Bush, Drew Brees come together to really pick this city up. We'll show some of the community service stuff they did. It's really going to be focused on Drew Brees getting to New Orleans and how him and Sean Payton meshed together and how this team really uplifted the city after the Katrina game. It's going to go through that first full season back from Katrina. Interesting, interesting. Playing to the heartstrings. I see what you're doing. Schubert, are you ready to go? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go. All right, Schubert, your time starts now. So I think, similar to with Lyndon's vein, when you go with a sports movie, you want to do something that is uplifting, something that has kind of come up. So I want to do a, a fictional movie about breaking the curse for the Boston Red Sox. As crazy as it is to say, with my Yankees fandom, I think that this should be made into a movie. You can start even at the... just You could almost start up like looking at different years of the Red Sox, just like years and years, you can do the Buckner, you can like reanimate the Buckner incident. You can just do all these things that have caused the Red Sox to fail. And then it finally gets to that season. And so like you start at the beginning of this, being the season, things that went through it and probably closer to the postseason because that was when you had Johnny David, Johnny Damon, the caveman, you had the crazy a ALCS with the Yankees. And then of course, you know, they win, the World Series and break probably one of the most famous curses besides the Chicago Cubs curse that was just broken. So, I, you know, I think you have a great cast of characters, like I said, with Damon, um, Francona, you have, uh, who's else on that team? You had Manny Ramirez, you had David Ortiz, you know, there's just, I think one of the best thing about sports movies is the cast of characters that are around it. And I think that you could find it's a really great, group of actors to fill in all these great uh these baseball player roles and some of the best sports movies are really baseball movies because it gives you the ability to really get invested in some of these characters so i i would think that the a film about the boston red sox ending the curse would be the best sports movie to make hmm Inter very, very interesting. So let's do our rebuttal, which y'all will both have 30 seconds because I both have questions before we get to our last rebuttal session, and then I ultimately pick the winner. Lyndon, my question for your movie is what I took away from what you said is pretty much just a documentary except I'm rewatching the games. Uh, give me some content to this movie. Am I just going to see another Katrina documentary, or am I going to see something new? No, you're going to see something now. No, you're going to see something new. It's going to start off with because this will be the story of, of it'll be of the story of that New Orleans Saints team and how Drew Brees uplifted the city. It's going to start with him kind of seeing him have that injury. It's going to show the three main stars of this movie are Drew Brees, Reggie Bush, and Sean Payton. It's going to show where Drew Brees came from before. It's going to show Sean Payton coming together, getting this new job after Jim Haslett. It's going to show Reggie Bush feeling 
coming off that Heisman, coming out of USC as the top guy. These three, these three dudes come together. We're gonna see the Atlanta game. We're gonna see the Cowboys time. game. We're gonna see them off off time. air doing time. time. All right, Schubert, my question for you is there actually has been a movie made about this World Series team, uh, Fever Pitch, uh, starring uh, Jimmy Fallon, which, ironically, that movie was actually supposed to be about the Yankees winning it all because the movie producers thought the Yankees were going to win it all. They had to go back and redo it. So am I going to see a remake of Fever Pitch, or am I going to see something that's more from the baseball team side uh, for this movie? Your time starts now. Yeah, definitely not. Like, there's no way I'm going to tell this through the fans' perspective. It's going to be definitely within the players. I think I'd probably end up centering it around Kurt Schilling because he, because the bloody sock was probably one of the biggest events of the entire of that entire postseason, and just like the probably a lot of the stuff that he had to go through. But I'm not going to just focus on Kurt Schilling. We're gonna we're gonna go to Johnny Damon. We're gonna go to uh, David Ortiz. There are other big moments in that series Fine. that are worth. Okay. All right. For our last round, Lyndon, you have a minute and 30 seconds to rebuttal Schubert's movie, and you will also get to defend your movie and tell me why this is going to work. Your time starts now. It's going to work because you always like an underdog story. It's going to be from Drew Brees' perspective. How did how, he was about to go to Miami? How does he come to New Orleans and change this culture? We're going to see him getting off that surgery, surgery, come and win for New Orleans, taking him to the playoffs, what they hadn't done in forever. And then we see what he does outside the community, how he's help, helping build community, how he's helping build houses. We're going to see the team actually going inside the city of New Orleans post-Katrina, helping build, helping build houses up, helping rebuild the community. And then we're going to see when they're in the games, it's going to come out and show some of the fans watching the games and just seeing the spirit of them seeing this team win. We're going to see it from all angles, but it's mainly focused on the players. Schubert's movie, I'm not the biggest baseball fan, so it's it, it, it it's not much to rebuttal against his. My main thing is just, you ask me how mine's not a documentary, I would pose the same thing to him, and it's hard with sports movies. I'm focusing mine on the relationship of Drew Brees in the city, and his supporting characters are his family, as well as Sean Payton and Reggie Bush, and we're going to see a little bit of the fan perspective as well as these guys and that's how it's a viable movie it ends with loss but at the end of that loss at the end of the season it it, it it's they sparked a new hope in the city and it and it just shows like where they're going after this loss and, it, and it's just set to inspire and in how we got to that super bowl later down the line all right schubert your minute 30 seconds starts now all right, well, what I would say about Lyndon's pitch is that I feel like it is more interesting from the outer perspective of the team because you are centering it more on Katrina. I mean, I th the bigger thing about Katrina was what happened to the people, not the, the team. I really wouldn't want to follow Drew Brees through all that. And I think that you could also jump and finish the movie with the Super Bowl. Of course, maybe they didn't win that season, but there's always ways in movies to push up time. And we would see maybe they lose it, but it would at the ultimate end of the movie we would get to the Super Bowl because I don't really want to see a sports movie that's going to end with a a sad ending or or the or the team losing if it's not necessary. And I feel like with mine, we're focused on a team that through, went through years and years and years of just losing, and then they finally get to the top and they have. 
a tremendously interesting group of people around it with a giant game against a rival to get into the World Series. I think there's just so much more about this Red Sox team that we want to know what was Kurt Schilling feeling, what was Dave Ortiz feeling, what were Manny Ramirez feeling at that moment in time. We want to know how it felt to be a World Series champion and how it felt to break a curse. And I feel like, so I feel like overall, mine Time. ends up. Uh, yeah, almost finished. But interesting points by both. I think Lyndon kind of played the judge a little going after the Saints. But little did he know, Schubert played the judge as well because I used to be a Red Sox fan back in the day as well as I am still an Astros fan. Uh, coincidentally, yes, they are good. I am not a bandwagon fan. We've been watching them since we could see them in Lafayette. Anyway, don't need to defend that because I am actually going to end up picking Schubert's movie at the end of the day because what I saw in Lyndon's movie is what we've seen before, is the Katrina story retold. We've seen the stuff about the Saints. You know, when I look at a sports movie, I want to see why, how, what ended up being and, you know, I've seen so much of what's happened with that New Orleans team around Katrina that I kind of wanted to see something new. I wanted to see the other side of Fever Pitch. So uh, round two goes to Schubert. Uh, and as we go to round three, it is a 1-1 tie. Uh, I guess I will flip a coin again. Or does Schubert get to decide who goes since he won round two? He gets um, to decide. Yeah, and I'll go first. All right. So with round three of Pitch It, we are going with an interesting topic. Uh, TV, actually, as Space Force is a comedy coming to Netflix based on the real-life proposition of President Trump's Space Force. Pitch a real-life business or organization would that would be fun to see as a sitcom or comedy. Schubert, your two minutes starts now. Oh, well, I feel like some of the more interesting ones are something that you usually wouldn't consider funny. Like, who would have thought a Parks and Recreation Office would have been funny? So I think that we should do the DMV. You know, the DMV is always a place that we dread, a place that we hate, and we always have stories to tell about it. You know, whether it's the cashier that seems uninterested or not knowing what what, what you even have to have, or just them over giving you all, all these excuses about why they can't do their job. What's going on behind the glass? What are they talking about? Are they making fun of you for having to wait in line for all that time? I can feel like there's a lot of really funny and interesting people that are behind a DMV, a, a DMV office. And I think that if you get the right group of comedians and the right director, maybe someone who's done sitcom work before, you can really find something very funny that sits in the similar veins of The Office or Brooklyn Nine-Nine, kind of like your great office place comedy, but at a place that we all love to hate. And so we can finally get to fi- get the last laugh at the DMV, and that's my pitch. Very, very interesting. You should have heard what I was saying while my mic was muted. Anyway, Lyndon, your two minutes starts now. Something that really stands out to me with, that I love in, in, in seeing jobs and, and something – I want to be more interested in is I want to see a comedy based on the in, the inner outer workings of a restaurant. Yes, just pick your favorite restaurant, but I want it to be a chain. Whatever chain, it, it, whatever the most popular chain, whether that's a Chili's, an Applebee's, 
uh, the inner workings of a restaurant. It will we'll follow the chef and we'll follow the waiters. It'll be similar to like Parks and Rec and all those things. And we're going to see how what happens when a bad customer comes in and he's complaining to the manager. What happens when uh, the, the chef messes up the food? What happens when someone tries to steal out of the register? It's going to be all these funny things and, and situations that we think of that happen in a restaurant. And we'll get to see all the funny inner outer workings of, man, does this, does this chef spit on food? Does this chef throw the food on the ground? Like, is this waiter being a douche? Is he trying to give uh, extra drinks to these girls to try to pick up girls? We're going to see different types of the shitty waiter, the old waiter, the young cook, the old cook. We're going to see explore like these people coming into this with their different backstories. And that's how they're going to connect through each other. And that's where we're going to find some of the humor because some people are going to come like we have the teenager from high school, what's he going through? Or we're going to have the old person who's been doing this their whole lives. We're going to see all different aspects of what makes a restaurant a restaurant. And we're going to see all the things that we hate, all the things we love, and we're going to find humor in both. Hmm. Very interesting idea. Surprise. Neither of y'all did a podcast network. Thought that was an <laughs> easy play. But uh, my rebuttal question is actually going to be the same for both of y'all. Uh, we see in a lot of, of these comedies, these sitcoms, that people fall in love with, whether it's Friends, whether it's The Office. There's a core group of characters, and, you know, they for some reason or, or, the, or another, they have a reason as to why they are a main character. Uh, Schubert, with your DMV idea, give me, you know, four or five characters, uh, who they could be played by, maybe, or uh, you can Oof. save this for your rebuttal. So you don't have to think about this as much, but I would like to hear some characters in both of y'all's and y'all's final rebuttal. Not in this 30 seconds, but who are some of your characters going to be and what are their jobs going to be at that DMV? Okay, well, I think you have to have two characters that are definitely two of the main tellers because I feel like they're the kind of people who would have some banter back and forth, you know, really doing funny things to the to the people or like doing them wrong or however it goes. And I think another character should be the person who does the licenses. And I think that that person should have like some kind of scandal around them. Like maybe they're doing fake IDs, some, you know, maybe they're like doing some hustles on the side from that, from Time. there. Okay. Dang. Oh, I had one more. <laughs> Lind we'll save it for your final rebuttal. Lyndon, uh, your 30 seconds is about to start, but same thing. Look, I want to know, in your restaurant, who is going to be that main character? You know, Who are going to be three or four, maybe five people that we see, and, and what are their positions in this restaurant? Your 30 seconds starts now. All right, my th my show is on HBO. Just want to throw that out. Head chef Danny McBride. We're gonna he's the head chef. He's the guy who who cooks the food. We're gonna see him in this restaurant. We're gonna follow a lot of him. We're gonna have the head waiter Russell Brand be that the, the guy that comes over from Europe. He's gonna be is gonna be him as the waiter flirting with girls, doing all that weird Russell Brand shit. We're gonna have a young a young character as the other waiter. We're gonna have a female bartender and a female manager of the restaurant. Those will be the five characters that we follow. The bar tender the head Fine. chef all right so in y'all's final minute 30 rebuttal each other's shows win me over but remember what i said earlier i would like to see some more character things i'd like to see who's going to play in these movies and or these shows and, and also play the judge schubert your last minute and 30 seconds starts now uh, so I would definitely think that the person that would be taking the IDs, that would probably be played by someone like Aquafina, someone who has a lot of comedy elements, but could also 
be this cunning person that has the sweet undertone for the boss, who is the other character I want to mention. Because, of course, you need to have the boss character that kind of resides over everyone. I think that person would probably end up, for me, just because I'm thinking off the top top of the head, someone like Will Ferrell, who would be completely over the top and goofy. I love the direction that they tried to go with him in the office where he still had the Will Ferrellness that, that we knew, but it was also super serious and stern. Uh, and then with the tellers, it wouldn't be Key and Peele, but it'd be something along those lines where maybe someone like a comedy duo, maybe even the Lucas brothers, someone that they know how to play off each other well and it works together well. Uh, my guess going into Lyndon's pitch, I feel like we've seen the restaurant business time and time again, whether it's being TV and movies. And I just really think that investigating what it would be like to be inside a DMV is something that we've never seen before and something that everyone can relate to because it's something that everyone has an opinion about. I feel like everyone kind of wants to see what that could be like if it was done in the right way. And I feel like with getting the right comedic comedic groups Uh, together, it would work. That's time. Yep. All right. right. Uh, Lyndon, remember what I said earlier. Give me some more content. Win over the judge. Your time starts now. Okay, to say this Schubert thing about my show, how there's a lot of restaurant TV shows, there's no sitcom scripted restaurant TV show except Bob's Burgers, and that's a cartoon. This is a live action show that's going to be set in HBO. We have Julia Louis-Dreyfus from Veep as the manager of the restaurant. We have Danny McBride as the chef. We have Russell Brand as the head waiter. We have uh, Tiffany Haddish as the main bartender. And we'd have a younger actor, someone around the age of like Tom Holland, but but more than likely not Tom Holland. But I guess you could put him in there as the young waiter. And we're gonna see their adventures in the in the uh, restaurant. We're gonna see Danny McBride being this this slumlord, this this crummy chef who comes into work every day, piss piss drunk sometimes. Julia Louis Dreyfus is only keeping him on because she he is her brother, and she made a promise to her mom that she. She would take care of him. We're going to see that brother-sister relationship between Danny McBride and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. We're going to see Tiffany Haddish have problems at home and bring it to work being the bartender. We're going to see Tom Holland go through school stuff and bring it to work, like how he might tell his friends come over and Tiffany will sell them drinks and have a fake ID. We'll see Russell Brand hitting on on women. Well, it's it's basically one of those, and it'll have the reality camera that's like Parks and Rec in the office where they'll be able to do their inner monologues and it's going to take comedy to 18 plus. It has no boundaries. It can go as far as we want it to go because of HBO. There's no network restrictions. Schubert didn't say where his was. If if, if I'm assuming it's like it's like the office... Yeah, your time ended like six seconds ago, but Mike was muted and I kept yelling time because I thought you were just talking over me, which makes it funny for me. So I'm having my own comedy. This show is a comedy. Just kidding. But this round is very interesting because I will say this. As soon as Schubert said his idea, I was like, all right, I'm I'm not listening. All right, this this is over. Because the DMV is a place people dread, a place people hate. People that work there hate the DMV. But at the same time, the DMV is like also a celebration place where you finally get the opportunity to drive for the first time. Getting that upgraded license is, you know, for a 15-year-old to a 16-year-old is a huge deal. But it's also big, you know, when you get that class, you know, E or whatever it is, driver's license, because it's job opportunity. Then I look at Lyndon's. Man, just his characters he has playing in there. Incredible idea, the concept. 
is awesome. Still think that one of y'all should have done a podcast. Thought that would have been great. But the overall winner in this episode is Schubert, who takes it with a two-to-one lead as that DMV idea. Yes, I did listen to both of y'all's ideas, but that DMV idea is incredible. I think that off the top of your head, Schubert, great work there. Thanks. Yeah, that, that kind of just sprung in there. And it, like Lyndon, yeah, it would probably be what you were alluding to with the network, probably would be on a network like that. No, I, I thought that would have been a great NBC. idea. Yeah. Um, with that being said, since London is down 2-1, London, you decide. Do you want to go first or second in, in round uh, four? I'll go second. All right. Well, let's go off of another idea that is not sports. So, Schubert, since you get to go first, Frankie Munez recently said he would be interested in rebooting Malcolm in the Middle. What live action TV series from the early 2000s should get a reboot? And who would you want to play some of the characters? Your two minutes begins now. It's really difficult because I really want to pick Boy Meets World, but it was already done. Uh, shoot. Let's do... Hmm... I got this. I got this. Yeah, let's just go ahead and. Uh... Okay, first thing came to my head. I'm gonna do One Tree Hill. It's gonna suck, but I'm gonna do it. All right. So, One Tree Hill. For people who don't really understand, it's like these two basketball guys that were these two basketball players that find out that they're long lost brothers and they're two polar opposites. I really think that that was a show that exploded the early 2000s and really set the trend in pop culture. Let's bring it into 2019's pop culture with a fan base that already loves and supports it. They would love to see it new and reimagined. Let's take it out of the city of North Carolina and let's maybe put it in somewhere more urban. Let's take it to Chicago or LA and mix it with a completely diverse cast because it was a pretty extremely white cast. I want to I get different perspectives of life. I want to take it into... To the, I wanted the neighborhood drama to be real except instead of this like teen suburban she said he said love drama I want to actually like give us something that's a little bit more gritty but also centers around the basketball and it's about and with the and when it comes to the basketball you have one guy who's super successful and trying to get his way up and another guy who just has a love for the game and develops and the one character that has the love for the game develops, a connection with the other people in the community that help him become a better basketball player while the other guys, you know, all about the college scholarships and all and that, and you know, that track. So I think it's got something for all audiences. What was good about one tree Hill in the day was Time. that it was, uh, all right, Lyndon, same question. Your two minutes starts now. I'm going to Nickelodeon, uh, the Amanda show. We're in an age right now of social media, of 2019 tropes. There's a new humor that's out there for these clout kids. And what better way to do it than a skit show taking a young and upcoming comedian and letting them take 2019 humor and putting it for a younger audience. These kids never got to see certain skit shows that we did, and none was better than the Amanda show. Why not get a young, up-and-coming comedian and let her be able to do skits? Like, what happens in school when you post a Snapchat uh, that, that goes viral and it's not the Snapchat you're supposed to see? What happens when uh, you're, you're at... Uh, 
a restaurant and you see someone doing some clout chaser stuff? What happens when you're when you're on the internet doing some crazy stuff? You're just different 2019 humor for kids today, and they'll be able to. It, it also allows you to get new actors, new up and coming younger comedians, and we can bring new faces to this uh, to the scene of acting and stuff, and we get to meet new people as well as get to give kids a story that their generation doesn't have. There's not a true, truly good skit show out right now. And what the Amanda show did was very special for that time. And why not allow some young girl or young boy to take that opportunity to make skits for this generation? Ooh, with 20, with 40 seconds left, do you want to keep going or you have that? I'll give it back to Schubert. All right, Schubert, so my question about your show is, is it was, you know, kind of a show a lot of girls fell in love with, with One Tree Hill. Are you going to target those girls again and have that romance scene? Are, are you going to go somewhere else with this reboot of One Tree Hill? Well, the interesting thing about One Tree Hill is that it's a, such a vast cast. So, of course, I want to get... I want to get the guys on board with the basketball element of it and the two, the story of those two guys. But the girls are doing their own thing as well. And I think that, you know, if we, let, let's say I put it in Los Angeles, you know, maybe it's some girl who's trying to build up her music career, similar to how it was in One Tree Hill. You know, there's drama that goes around that and the connections between them and the boys. I think there will still be the element of a relationship as most teen dramas are. But I think what makes this more unique and interesting is that I'm going to focus even more on the basketball to try and bring the guys back into it. Because, you know, imagine if you had Time. LeBron. Uh, uh. <laughs> All right, Lyndon. So my question for your show is, is, you know, you talked about kind of like the Snapchat idea and stuff like that. But, you know, the Amanda show was really, you know, that live audience. Are you going to have that live audience again? Or are you going to have a show that, you know, is kind of more of that modern look that we see today? Your time uh, starts now. My show, it, it, you will have a live audience there, but Charles, it's going to be taking things like Snapchat, like the internet. That's going to be their sketches that pertain to today. You, it'll still have that live audience feel there to make because the Amanda Show was a TV show inside of a TV show. We're going to still keep that idea to where it was filmed in a live studio audience, but we're just going to update it a little bit. Maybe make it like a YouTube network with a live studio audience, just to modernize it a little bit. Some of the skits that Amanda Show had was commercials. Instead of commercials, we're going to do like uh, we're going to do YouTube ads and, and Judge Trudy. We're going to keep we're going to keep that judge format with Judge Trudy, but we're just going to make call it a different judge. Uh, they had something where it was blockbuster instead of blockbuster. We're going to do ha getting Netflix and chill, but doing it the right way, like funny for kids because they made fun of blockbuster. We're going to make fun of Netflix. They had a sh thing called the girl's Time. room. All right, guys, in y'all's last minute, 30 seconds, sell me your show, right? I, I want to know why it's going to win. I want to know, you know, appeal to this generation because we see what shows have worked and we see what shows haven't worked. And, uh, you know, Lyndon, specifically with yours, since it's going to be an HBO show, how many seasons are you going to have? Uh, and, and Schubert, is this going to be something that um, we have like a cap on seasons? You know, we, we see the first four seasons really being big with One Tree Hill. Are we are we going to go from those four seasons or are we going to go, you know, further on and see some of these characters grow up? Your minute 30 starts now. 
All right. Well, the first thing I'll say about Lindens real quick is they're already doing this on Nickelodeon. They they brought back all that. It's pretty much the same concept. And I don't think you could do the Amanda show without Amanda because that doesn't really make much sense. Uh, so now going to mine, I think what I was trying to touch on right then is imagine if LeBron James was, or maybe not even that, but someone who is at the caliber of going to play huge successful basketball was there and then the people around it, it would be kind of like revolved around that for the guys and for the girls, there would definitely be still the relationship stuff. But what Charles said there with the four seasons thing, if the show made it four seasons, I don't see why they couldn't bring in the next generation. So that's kind of what they did with One Tree Hill, and it did work in some cases. But, of course, with that show, the main cast took the lead. I don't know how the show would go four seasons down the line, but if it was enough to make four seasons, I'm sure that they have a chance to do it next generation. Uh, Yeah, I just think that bringing the teen drama to this age, you know, what we see the Riverdales and stuff like that that are huge. But what really draws a guy to watch Riverdale? I think sports is what it would be a big part of bringing guys into this whole teen drama world. I feel like with, with Teen Wolf, they had they had a sport that kind of I know drew me to watch the show. When I, knew that, when I heard that there was some guys playing lacrosse, I wanted to check out the show. I feel like just having a small sports element does get that – general guy interest that would be able to push it and especially if we made it interesting to to the uh, the basketball player it just depends on how they want to have how the show would be written i think this would be a guy who would kind of like you know really be this larger than life character and then be a brother to someone who may just be in it for the in it for the pride but and you'll, you'll learn the, between their internal back. conflict and uh, I don't know. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And Lyndon, your last rebuttal starts now. I didn't say all that. My show is not all that. My IP is the Amanda show. I get the Amanda show spawned from all that, but just because I'm taking the, I can take the IP of something and remove it and give it fresh ideas with today. So, and, and speaking of your show, let me list off the amount of teen dramas that are out right now. You said River there. There's yeah. 13 reasons why. There's Euphoria, which takes the sports aspect and takes all that gritty shit you were talking about and does it. If your thing's on the mm-hmm. network show, it's going to be another CW show, okay. and nobody wants to watch that with 17 seasons. That, you, and, and <laughs> next generation, who wants to follow? How, you tell, you, you're telling me you put the car before the horse. How do you know your show's going to be successful to get a next generation? My show is simple, Charles. Four seasons, the same four to five seasons, depending on how successful it is. It's a skit show taking on Nickelodeon, taking the Amanda Show idea, but giving it fresh legs, taking a little bit from Key and Peele and giving these kids a sketch show that they can love. The, the, all that thing is for nostalgia. That's for our generation. It's not, they're still bringing uh, back Keenan, Lori Beth Denberg. No, this is for this generation, a show that centers around clout chaser culture to make skits for this new generation and giving a new comedian, young comedian, a voice to be able to have a show on Nickelodeon. I think kids need this because this is what drew creativity to our generation. And we see they do it through their forms of Vine, Instagram, YouTube. And I think it fits very well in this generation. Tweaking a couple things, making it a YouTube network, making it a YouTube show with a live audience that they film. It would be it would work very well for this generation because YouTube does have a studio in Los Angeles because they're making original content for it with YouTube TV. So it fits very and well. Time. 
Man, I'm, I'm kind of like left speechless on this one because, you know, I, I think Schubert's show had some good ideas. And, look, I think you play the romance off of everybody, and, and it kind of works with girls. And to be honest, I think all three of us have been there. You're dating a girl. You, she's watching something. You kind of get drug into it. And if it's any bit good, you start watching and if there's that basketball aspect, it brings guys in as well, right? Especially they're hot girls. Like, guys are going to start watching it. Lyndon, with your show, it's like, how do you not mention the damn Dancing Lobsters, dude? I mean, come <laughs> on. You want to win over the judge? Mention the damn Dancing Lobsters. But I think where, where your, your show fell off is you go to YouTube. You're on HBO. But you're coming off of a Nickelodeon show. But wait, I never, I never said I was on HBO. That was the last pitch. I never uh, said that. Uh, okay, so you're on Nickelodeon. You cap it at four shows. But you're kind of talking about like real world, real world skits, and it's like, man, Nickelodeon isn't really appealing to some of these kids with Snapchat. But at the end of the day, your overall idea wins. I just wouldn't want to see that show on Nickelodeon at the end of the day. But with that being said, we have a tie at two two, best out of five. Lyndon, since you just won, um, I don't know. Should we flip a coin since we're in an all tie, or uh, does Lyndon get to choose? Uh. You can choose. Uh, I'll, I'll go second. All right. So since it is an all tie, let's go with something that I really want to see y'all uh, talk about. All right. So we're going to go with the sports one. Uh, Buzzkill, I know, right? But for the last and final topic, Schubert, it is round five. Let's hear your best two minutes on a sports show on your preferred network with the host you prefer. Your two minutes starts now. All right. Well, this was a conversation that Lynn and I were actually having. And uh, I really, I really, of course, I'm a big FS1 guy. So I'm just going to do this F- FS1 one. So what I would like to do is I'd like to find a way to combine all the shows for like a weekly roundtable format. It would be a show that only comes on once a week, probably at the end of the week on a Friday. And it would be Skip, Colin, Whitlock, and then, of course, whoever they wanted to bring on because I feel like those guys are kind of like the big names of the group. So, I mean, of course, it would be similar to your usual panel shows where, you know, they'll bring on different people for different aspects. So you'll see the Joel Klatz, Shannon Sharps, Nick Wrights, uh, Chris Carter's, all of that. And it would just be kind of the weekly wrap up with some of the guys who are the, the staple shows on the, on that network. So any topics that kind of touched in with each show, cause they do blend topics, but they also have vastly different ones. Like there are things that they talk about on speak for yourself I would like to see how Skipper Colin would take that. So I think that, that, you know, having them all come together to play off of each other about the big stories of the week would be an interesting way to not only promote all three shows, but also to kind of come as a collective, as a Fox network, to embrace the, the, the ideas that you have as a network. And that's what I got. Interesting. Lyndon, your two minutes starts now. Okay, so there's only one easy way to know how to win this. And if I'm pitching a sports show on my preferred network with hosts that I prefer, I'm doing Bros Who Think takes on FS1. Yeah, 
Yes, I'm doing Charles and myself host a show where Schubert comes on as well as Justin during basketball season. And we're, we're going to be talking about sports in the world. It's going to be from a younger person perspectives we're going to use things like what's going on on twitter what's popping off in these twitter streets with what, what what nba players doing such and such unfollowing such and such it's going to be bros who think take on fs1 charles and myself will be discussing sports on a daily as well as adam schubert and we're going to just be doing our prime to our our prime time bros who ball bros who think thing on fs1 where we talk about football basketball college sports as well as uh college basketball and for Charles and Schubert to talk baseball when it gets to baseball season. Yes, I'm taking the Bros Who Think Network and putting them on FS1. Interesting. Because y'all both played to a network I really don't like that much. I don't really like FS1. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Wowzers, you know. Come on, let me hear a little ESPN content, you know, for once. Anyway, my question for Schubert is, Look, Schubert, the, all these guys you have, it, it, you know, your idea kind of reminds me of the sports reporters. But the sports reporters talked on all these topics on a Sunday, which is a show I really loved. But they weren't on TV throughout the week. You've got guys that are on TV every single morning during the week. So we're, we already kind of hear their takes. So we're bringing them back for their takes again. Or is this going to be something we haven't heard from them throughout the week? Uh, well, I don't know who sits and watches the whole network all day. I can only really catch a certain amount of shows from time to time. So I usually get to catch Speak for Yourself. Some days I only get to catch um, Skip and Shannon. You know, I think it's a way that you can have conversations that were like, let's say a big trade happened on a, on a Tuesday, but you only caught Colin's take. You know, maybe they're going to talk about it more in depth of, of de later in the week, but what if I didn't get to hear as much as I would like to have heard from one of the other guys? So that gives me an opportunity to get the playback. You know, we kind of get an idea of. In uh, time. Yeah. All right, Lyndon. So with your idea, you know, I kind of want to know, like, how is this going to take off? You know, you're taking FS1 and you're putting us on there. Uh, we really don't have that big of a draw. So how are people going to be interested in watching this show at the end of the day? Well, oh, 100%. Look, it, it is to bring younger eyes to FS1. This is it, this is going to also coincide with FS1's online content. We're coming to bring youth to FS1. I know we don't have as big of a draw right now, but the FS1 name carries it, just like ESPN. When you bring on someone new that you don't know, the network brings their following, and if you're good enough, it, it, it all, all comes down to if we're good enough, the people will come watch. I think my, myself and yourself, Charles, with along with Adam, making a younger show for FS1 would be great because it brings the younger viewers. It'll allow and them to... In, in All right, guys. So, like, this is, a, this is what I want y'all to do in y'all's last one. Obviously, rebuttal each other's ideas. But in the, at the end of the day, what's new about your show? What makes it different, right? So, Schubert, with that being said, your minute 30 starts now. All right, so what I have to say about Lyndon's fantastic idea of putting me, Charles, and himself on FS1, which sounds absolutely great, I'm not going to lie, but here's where I would pitch against it. They already did tried this with Katie Nolan and ESPN, and I don't really feel like it panned out all the way through. I feel like she's more of a social media presence now, so I feel like this would be more of a social media kind of show. 
where my sh- my show is more is definitely a part of the ne- of an is definitely a network show because it has the three network heads on it. Uh, what may what would make mine new and different is kind of a hard thing to say because it is more of a recap show. It really has more to do with breaking down the news of a whole week. But I think what what could be a, a benefit of it for the listeners and for the fans is that especially during football season, everything comes at the weekend and it's a kind of your last chance at the end of the week to get your favorite hosts takes about what's to come in the weekend. And so sometimes you may miss that on a Friday morning and you want to see it. And I feel it gives, it gives the fans an opportunity for one last one last final take before we go into the weekend of games um, and time. Yeah. All right, London. Same thing. A year minute thirty starts now. The difference between us and Katie Nolan is Katie Nolan talk politics. We're talking sports. We're talking sports through the lens of topics that people don't necessarily like to look at. We're we're when I say social media, we look at these people's social medias and we analyze what they're doing, the different moves, the different emojis, and we're talking about it on sports and connecting it to the sports world. Like for example, when free agents tweet certain things and we figure out that's where they're going, we're gonna be breaking all that down, as well as talking about different games and different things going on in the week of sports. Schubert's show won't work for the simple that there's there's too many star there's too many stars and not enough screen time. We already saw Jason Whitlock and Colin Cowherd didn't work. Colin Cowherd wants to focus solely on his show. That's why he's doing just the herd. Skip and Shannon. Skip is only there at eight o'clock. He he's signed on strictly for that debate show. Skip works best in a debate format. This is more so of a panel discussing. I see the show as people talking over each other, whereas us we're taking our secret sauce and bringing it to a network. We have our cohesion. We know how, what each other's strengths and weaknesses, and we can play off of that, as well as bring new insight to the FS1 network that doesn't have. It's a bunch of old dudes talking about sports. Let's bring some younger perspective, as well as talk, do player interviews and get be the player show, whereas other shows are the, are the, are the, the uh, franchise show. We're going to be for the players. Whatever sport it is, football, basketball, we're player, we're pro-player, not pro-organization. And that's going to be our spin on it. And that's why we're going to look into their social medias. Time. That's why we're going to do player interviews as well. Oof. Both interesting ideas, both on FS1. Kind of odd y'all didn't switch y'all's network when you had the opportunity to, but that probably would have won it. I'm just kidding. But... You know, the interesting thing is both of y'all kind of played on ideas that have already been there, you know, at the end of the day. And the thing with the FS1 stuff is it's like, you know, with Schubert's show, I, I see it as a sports reporter. So I really do. But I see guys that are commentators. I don't see guys that are actual journalists. And when it comes to that at the end of the day, I think that's something we're missing from sports. And with Lydon's show, it's, it's also similar. You know, I go back to the point of how – are we going to draw, you know, two million people to watch us when they have all this other content going on? Uh, you know, at the end of the day, man, I, I really want to see something where we see the next Stuart Scott. You know, we all grew up watching Sports Center, and that was the first thing we wanted to watch whenever we turned the TV on. And it's like, you know, Scott Van Pelt's bringing that back, but he's at midnight. He's still playing to me because I'll watch him. But who's playing to this younger generation? And to be honest, you know, at the end of the day, that's why uh, I think that that could be something that we see in the future. We're not seeing it now. But at the end of the day, 
because I think that this show would actually go somewhere in the beginning. It would have some notoriety in the beginning as well, and everyone likes to see people argue. I'm actually going to end up going with Lyndon's pick on this because people are going to love watching us argue about basketball at the end of the day. Woo! I would have picked ba- Lyndon's as well. Yeah! I, I, think, I think the interesting thing about your idea, Schubert, and look, I really love you know, the idea. It's just that they aren't journalists. They're commentators. And you know the things that you actually see from FS1 in recent you know, weeks has been people making fun of their takes, right? And you kind of place <laughs> that, I, that idea uh, of, you know, talking about football. Well, if it's on a Friday, there's already been Thursday night games. Well, then my, my idea, I'm thinking in the back of my head, well, man, what if the show is on Wednesdays? Yeah, but you don't find out your inactives, you know, until later in the week and your idea of who's playing and who's not playing. So then you're only playing a football, you're not playing a basketball. It's like a couple of shows that are starting soon that you know their names are geared to one thing but they're going to talk about multiple sports it's like man guys like you got to play the entire sports field you got to you got to bring me into everything but uh i still would like the idea of just being on fs1 because that would be awesome to pursue the career <laughs> to the dream so that's eventually why linda ended up winning it out and plus i think people would love us to just have justin on and try to get him to talk football and then me just lose my mind i mean that would be a great show also, or Linda, uh, Linda and, and Brooklyn I, find about the Trailblazers. Uh, <laughs> me, me and Schubert both were not going to say ESPN because we were. I know if I would have said ESPN, he knows if he would have said ESPN, we were going to tear that shit apart. Because I was going to bring in ratings. Like ESPN has not put out a new successful show, and I just, I just like, oh man, you'd have to set like that's why I didn't say ESPN. I don't yeah, know. I, I will say my same. favorite sports show right now is SVP show. By oh oh yeah. yeah, yeah. No, he, he has. I'll say this: Nothing he has compares. the best show on ESPN for sure. Nothing compares to what he's doing right now, you know. No one. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, awesome. But, this but, is. Hey, hey, Charles, you've seen these questions. Do you have any ideas of what she would have said? Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking about certain ones uh, when it comes to sportscaster. To be honest, you know, there weren't really any rules and what you could have done. I would have had. Uh, back to what we've seen in the past, I would have had SVP show kind of in that sense, but I would have had him back with Stuart Scott. You know, that's kind of what we fell in love with with ESPN. I think ESPN trying to go back to it. You know, that's kind of where I would have gone with that. Um, with the whole, I, I actually got to do the whole boy meets world question, and I think I did girl meets world. And I, I think I actually, Lyndon, I think you actually played against me in that, and you did the whole Amanda Show reboot. I think I actually beat you in that. Just, I, I, we'd have to go back and listen to that. But I remember doing that, and, you know, a couple of the other ones. I think that, um, you know, in y'all's first one, I think I would have gone with a villain that would have been more real world and, and kind of just taken, like, a Vladimir Putin and actually had to have, like, Captain America, like, take him on because Vladimir Putin is, like, a... Uh, oh, interesting. A, ...is, like, an alien inside of a robot or something and end up fighting each other. Like, I think that would have been a good movie. But, uh, you know, it, it's all about coming up with things on the fly and, and looking at all these questions. I was coming up with things in my own argument with them. And so that kind of, like, pushed me to certain ways with y'all's arguments. But, I... I Look, man, this is a great show, a great idea, and I can't wait to see where this goes. And glad to be a part of the first overall episode. 
Yeah, man. Glad, glad to that have you, could, bro. You could have you on here because, uh, and I know the fans are definitely going to want to see you do it because we, we know that you're great with the argument. But uh, the one thing I want to say, yeah, man, it is really hard. You know, thinking on the fly. I think that's probably the hardest part of the second round. Is you know, you really got to, especially when you know when you're going first. Uh, you could tell a couple of times I was going first. I was kind of talking my way into my pitch, especially with the DMB one. I'm like thinking, I'm like, okay, well, places that are usually not fun to be at a uh, DMB. Okay. Yeah. And so I think that's the crazy thing about this. And you always watch like a, a show on YouTube, like movie fights where like, you're like, Oh, I, I see them do that. Oh, I'll be able to do something like that. No problem. Like I could come up with a better idea than that. Oh man. When you have to actually sit there, lights are on you, pressure's on and you got to think about something on the fly. It's tough, man. It's tough. Yeah, no, it definitely is. That's that, that's probably the hardest thing of this game show. Excited that the season has officially begun. Yes, and speaking of Charles, he goes from judge to competitor in the next match. It will be him versus Brooklyn. A lot to see a lot of interesting skill sets. And then after that match, we will have others. But the next match will be at the end of August. So be on the lookout for that, Charles versus Brooklyn. But back to you, Schubert, to finish up Bros Who Binge. All right, that was Pitch It. Man, I definitely am sad that I couldn't get the win, but Lyndon <laughs> deserved it. And I'm glad we got to go, you know, a full five rounds. Yeah, no, 100%. Thank you to Charles for uh, being the first week's guest judge and host. Thank you to our, our unknown judge, who's always the background for in case ties happen. Next match will be uh, the next match will be the first Pitch It format where me and Schubert don't play and we're the announcers and judges. So you guys should be very excited for that. We're excited for that as well. But Schubert, 1-0 to start. 0-1. Yeah. I can't wait to see. Can we announce the next match? I mean, we did at the end of it. It's Brooklyn versus Charles. Yeah, Brooklyn versus Charles. But yeah, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the match. Like, our first round was something that I was definitely interested in. We, you did Deathstroke. I did the Gorilla Grodd. Like, what did you think? Because I majorly brought that up because I thought that you were going to be the judge. And I was like, maybe Lillian is going to be interested in, like, my crazy out there decision to go with Gorilla Grodd out of, I out of been, everything. I would have been into it if you'd have given me him fighting the Flash or him fighting like. No, I, it has to be a standalone villain movie without the hero. That wasn't the question. The question didn't say you didn't have to have a hero in it. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess I need to be very specific with the questions. You know, I didn't want to just write a just question like, with uh, a bunch of checklist rules. You know, I feel you, but see, from that's why I did Deathstroke and I mentioned Superman, Lex Luthor. I know, I, yeah. Like, I went into it, and, and I thought your villain selection was great. I was just like, how is he tying this? What's the difference between this and Planet of the Apes? Like, and then, like, like, if, so- like if I was going to do it with the Flash story, I would have loved to have told the Gorilla Grodd Flash story because that had way more to do with the, the whole origin than anything else. Like, I would pretty and, much cut out the Flash out of it. See, and I thought if you'd have had some Flash in there, maybe you could have, you know, or, 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 or you needed some human character in there. You could have yeah, did like the aliens, but you could have did uh like Maxwell Lord or Steve Trevor, like Steve Trevor, like that would have been I'd have been like, damn, should be okay. Or Amanda Waller and Argus find him, or Cadmus finds him. Something like that, yeah, yeah. You wanna hear the other two options I had? What you got? I had uh the Ed Nigma movie. Okay. And which which I was kind of thinking would be like more of a Every time I thought about it, I thought it would be better as a Batman movie. 
Like, mm. I was like, this would only really be interesting if like he just like went crazy because of the whole Bruce Wayne getting fired thing, like in the cartoon. Yeah, but, like, no, Bruce Wayne fires him and he goes crazy over it, and like Edward Nigma stories too reliant on Batman. Yeah, it really so, is. And then the other one I thought about doing was going to do uh, the Superman prequel, General Zod. I now, it, yo, wait. If you'd have did that and I was judging, you'd have won because that, yo, I would have bought, bought that one hundred percent. The only thing that would have happened if somebody would have knocked you and been like, "Oh well, can't you go watch Krypton?" That's the only way someone would have knocked you, but that that idea is I, I like the General Zod prequel. Yeah, generals, because uh, the the thing that I thought I would have a difficulty explaining was that a lot of the time that he spent pre Superman was like in the Phantom Zone. No, see, that's the thing. He was you could have did it where he was, but you could have did it where it was. See, that's just the Man of Steel before origin. him getting banished. Yeah, yeah. That, see, that's just the Man of Steel origin. You could have did it where. The reason why General Zod made it off, you could explain why he made it off of uh, Krypton, like he was fighting a war somewhere. So you you could have did so many different things because that's just the Man of Steel origin. That's not every origin of Zod. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like but, those were the ideas that I had. My I just really, background. I, I think I just oh, really wanted to do Gorilla Grodd just because I wanted to pick a DC villain rogue that was a, a rogue gallery that wasn't a Superman or Batman just because like. Those no one ever thinks about it, you know. No one, no one ever really understands that Flash has a good group of villains. Oh no, he does, man. Flash has one of the best. Like, and man, my secondary villain like choices behind that. I honestly, I think Deathstroke. Like, I had a plan in case you said Deathstroke, but Deathstroke was the one that I went. That was like the one that I knew was like the best choice because you could use any superhero from the DC universe. You can use any organization from the DC universe. You can use any, like anything. My secondary thing was actually going to be uh, Lady Shiva in the League of Shadows. Ah, okay. Yeah, so I would have did, I would have done like she was, we just saw her grow up in this organization and her becoming this this great assassin in this in the it would have been her it, the story would have been her taking over the throne from the leader of the League of Shadows and I would have probably I wouldn't have used Ra's al Ghul because I or Talia but I'd have used some DC assassin of some equal level to be the leader that she beat up and take down so that was that was my secondary plan Lady Shiva Lady Shiva well yeah so that was fun that was definitely a good first game. Yep, and be on the lookout at the end of the month for Brooklyn vs. Charles. Yeah, exactly. That's that's going to be fun. It's definitely going to be fun because Charles, like we say in the in the picture, he can, you know, tell he could tell a seal that he's a walrus. Yep, in the same but, but see with Brooklyn, Brooklyn has the comedy aspect whereas Charles is a good arguer. Brooklyn can make us laugh as well as Charles knows a lot about sports and movies whereas Brooklyn knows a lot about comics and he can add the fantasy aspect to it where charles i don't know if he has that so it'll be a very interesting match yeah definitely definitely yeah but that's all i got this week shooting episode 50 brother yeah we'll go ahead and tell everyone what's going on with the bros who think network be sure to check out uh the the episode 106 of the bros who think podcast the latest episode we dropped we rated chances album which is straight ass we talked about uh 
what else? We, we talked about LeBron. We talked about Michael Thomas getting his contract. We talked about the top five calls you could get. We talked about hot girls with ugly dudes. We talked about uh, Rick Ross and Drake. Talked about all kinds of stuff. Be sure to check that episode out. As well as if you're ready to jive back in the prime time, Charles and Josh are back getting everybody ready for LSU football season, talking some Saints. LSU's ranked six in the coaches' poll. Be sure to check out the most, epi- re- most recent episode of Primetime. Yeah, man. LSU, Texas, early in the season. That's going to be dope. I can't wait to see all the lead-up to that for with Charles and Josh, you know? Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, so yeah, that's it for episode 50 of the bros who binge podcast. We brought a lot to you. I mean, I think it was great that we got the chance to watch a movie and talk about a movie that was so exciting and interesting. You know, it wasn't a dud. Like it's, it's a good thing that we weren't doing this and talking about like Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah, and not saying that that's a dud because I don't know yet. Yeah. And we got to go watch that next week. And also, I think it's good that it wasn't a superhero film. I think it was dope that for our 50th episode, we talked about a movie movie. Not saying superhero movies aren't movies. You guys know how much I love them. But this is a typical, like, Oscar movie. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's a movie. For sure. For sure. And, uh, yeah, we, I realized we didn't talk about Young Justice, and there has been a couple episodes. But we'll But that's okay. We'll, we'll be back, back for 51. Because we'll have yeah, a, we'll bring a, back a good a, chunk. Yeah, we'll get a good chunk of it. And I, yeah, I... I have some takes. So, All right. Well, I see. I've been watching it, so I don't say anything. All right, but yeah. So that that kind of wraps things up here. Thank you for listening to all of the fifty episodes of the Bros Who Binge podcast, and keep listening to all all of the great shows on the Bros Who Think Network. I'm Adam Schubert, and from Lennon Burton, have a great weekend, and as always, keep binge. Coming over my head